no thoughts on the movie, and maybe it was obvious to you when you were watching it, but I don't think that we should mention the twist for because like I think as soon as you mention that there's a twist, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you know what it is. Yeah. Oh, dude, I knew that twist was coming before, like right when they said there was. I was like, okay, that's how this. Yeah, is Yeah, and go. I think most people will, but on the flip side, like. You know, if you don't, I mean, that's pretty much the only twist you're going to get that you could guess in that movie, right? Totally. Yeah. Yes. So no mention of the twist. I don't care if it's Chubby Checker twist. Just no mention. (laughs) 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 Come on, baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. You're off the podcast. You're off the podcast. You're gone. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah. Mm. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's the uh, monster energy. Ultra watermelon is what they call that one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, ultra watermelon. <laughs> it's not a song. You're just going to hear me sip it periodically. <laughs> Welcome to radio. This is what we're doing now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to drink this drink. (laughs) I'm going to drink this drink and you're going to listen to me. (laughs) I haven't listened to morning radio in probably, I don't even know how long. I listen to the radio every fucking day. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) I, I I was at a restaurant on like last week Sunday and they were playing like a repeat of the 1984 Casey Kasem countdown. They do that, yeah. On, it's pretty uh, exciting. The sister station for this one on Sunday mornings, they do that. And they play it just like it was. Yeah. And uh, it was at the, yeah, Casey's Top 40. Yeah, this week uh, we've got uh, Heavy D makes it to the top. <laughs> for the <laughs> first time. For the first time ever, Heavy D. And he comes in at number 40, but at least he made it with uh, Now That We Got... What was that song? Now that we we found the water, we found a tune with it. I I used to love love that fucking dumbass song. Yeah, that song was a jam. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Banger. Now I want to listen to that song, Jake. Shit. Play it. Play it, man. There we go. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't jingle, but you jiggle. Get some bread over your love, cause it's heavy in the middle. I'm moving like a movie, she wanted to groove, so I grooved her. Then she wanted to learn, so we play school, and I schooled her. Hey, I had a little laugh. But not like this, we can pause and turn. We can tumble and twist. No mention of the twist! <laughs> Heavy D, you're shut off. it off. Shut okay. it off. Heavy D, you're done. You're it's done. done. You're Heavy gone. <laughs> it's over, Heavy D. You mentioned the twist. Episode 436. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. It's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carryover, counterculture, pushovers, pop culture, leftovers. And you're the uncool kids, what's to say's already been said, leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this, pop culture, leftovers. Are, are, are you ready for the only podcast hotter than a human torch? It's Pop Culture Leftovers. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And we're, we're the, the leftovers. leftovers. Hey, welcome back, Jake. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jake's, like, Jake's like, wow, Brian was nice to me at the beginning of this one. What's going on? Yeah, I wasn't for sure I was going to be welcomed back. I didn't know until this moment. Yeah, it's it's rare that I welcome you back to the show. <laughs> it Jeez. happens. Yeah, it does happen every great once in a while. Anyway, welcome back to all of our listeners as well. Welcome back to you. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, listeners. <laughs> you know it's going to be a good show, don't you? When, I can tell. Already. Yeah, I know. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. Anyway, we're not alone. We're not alone. We've got Joe Stark from StarkCast. Welcome back, Joe. Hey, stoked to be here. Yeah, raise the levels, man. Is he coming in a little light there, Jake? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah, get I up didn't there. feel the stoked. Yeah, step into the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Step into the mic there. God. <laughs> you little very meek and meager Joe. Hey, stoked to be here. <laughs> that makes it sound sensual. <laughs> that was sensual to you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You found Joe's love language. Oh my god! If I ever fucking I, maybe if, it was more creepy than sensual. <laughs> it was creepy. It was. If I ever go to Pornhub and like somebody that like drops that line in like one of these fucking <laughs> porn videos, hey, stuck to be here. I'm gonna, uh, okay. <laughs> All right. I must have clicked on the gangbang. Might want to try stroked to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Some. Oh, ooh, Snoke to be here. <laughs> A little bit of Star Wars action. Are you? Are you Palpatine? <laughs> anyway, and we also got Paul Hart from Apple to Oranges podcast. Welcome, Paul. Hey, I'm stroked to be here tonight. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Fuck yeah, Paul. Oh, yeah. Let's get excited for Paul jerking off during the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the first time. We're fucking... Oh, definitely not. <laughs> We're deep into Marvel news and 
Paul's. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> if that's what it takes to keep Paul awake, then jerk away, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. All right. Uh, just don't chafe, man. Oh, chafe, chafing sucks, man. Yeah. Do you say chafing or shaving? What did you say? I said. <laughs> <laughs> Lubrication is the key. Mm. Oh, you sound like the end of a fucking G.I. Joe episode. <laughs> the more you know. And knowing is half the battle. Don't, yeah, kids. Shit. <laughs> Pork chop sandwiches. <laughs> lubrication <laughs> is the key, everybody. If you've learned one thing from this episode, learn that lubrication is the key. <laughs> I want to thank uh, I want to thank a listener for a donation. I want to thank Mr. Michael Baxter. Thank you for sending your donation. I really appreciate it, Jake. We appreciate the donations, man. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Baxter. Much appreciated, Mr. Baxter. Meredith Baxter Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me one other thing Meredith Baxter Bernie has ever been in other than Family Ties. I, I know I can't. I got mm. nothing. Nothing. My mom's friend from college. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Meredith Baxter Bernie came out a few years ago, Jake. I was saying that she hooked up with my mom's uh... best friend <laughs> from college. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I still don't know what any of this is. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's in bad taste, which is a, th- a thing that Meredith Baxter Bernie said about my mom's best friend from college. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm dialed in now. Whoo! <laughs> 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 We've got two contests this week. We're going to go over the winners next week. I'm going to tell you how to enter. And uh, Meredith Baxter Bernie, speaking of entering. (laughs) Anyway. (sighs) We've got a contest here for physical copies for the Paramount Plus series, the acclaimed Paramount Plus series, 1883. This is a prequel series to the uh, Yellowstone series uh, from visionary creator Taylor Sheridan comes 1883, a Yellowstone origin story, a prequel to television's number one show, Yellowstone, featuring a star-studded cast, including Academy Award nominee Sam Elliott, Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, and cameos from Academy War winners uh, Tom Hanks and Billy Bob Thornton. Dive deeper into the Dutton's family origin story with over two hours of behind-the-scenes bonus content, including never-before-seen featurettes with the cast and crew. 1883, a Yellowstone origin story available on DVD, Blu-ray, and digital now. And we've got five physical copies uh, from Paramount to give out to our listeners uh, just for listening to this podcast. And all you have to do is enter this contest to win these five copies uh, on Blu-ray. And in order to do so, I'm going to be sending out an 1883 tweet and Facebook post. And what you'll do is you'll retweet it or share it and uh, send me proof that you did one of the, on one of the social media platforms. Screenshot it. Send me proof to contest at popcultureleftovers.com with the title 1883. And you'll be entered into the contest. And, uh, yeah, we'll go over the uh, winners 
for 1883 on Blu-ray next week. Jake, I watched a little bit of Yellowstone. Great show. But I hear that 1883 is even better from a lot of people. And uh, I, I just haven't started it. I love Sam Elliott, though. I've heard the same. I've also heard that you don't really need to watch Yellowstone to appreciate it. In fact, I knew someone that was watching it that had no idea it was part of like the greater Yellowstone universe. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It is. It is true. Like, uh, if like if you've watched the fourth season of Yellowstone, they do have Tim McGraw and Faith Hill kind of cameo a little bit, but it is it is fantastic. I will definitely be signing up for this contest because. It is a fantastic show. Got a question for you. Favorite stone, Flintstones, Yellowstone, Sly and the Family Stone, or Guns N' Roses, Mr. Brownstone? Jake, go. I'm going to, you know, thanks to the sponsors and the, and the DVD Blu-rays, I'm going to go Yellowstone. Look at you. Like, speaking of Brownstone, we got Brown Noser <laughs> Jake over there. Damn, man. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Jeez, I'm su- I'm surprised that you could say that as eloquently as you did with their dick in your mouth, Jake. That was <laughs> impressive. Joe, favorite stone? Mr. Brownstone. Paul. Fly in the family stone. I'm going I'm going with a dark horse right in vote, Sylvester Stallone stone. Oh, that's <laughs> bullshit. It's not a stone. Yeah, I don't know. I'm go okay. All right. I'll go. I'm going with. Uh, I'll go with Yellowstone. I'll be company man too, there, Jake. I'll be Yellowstone. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, enter the uh, 1883 contest, and uh, we've also got another contest. Excited about this one as well. See Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I've got five digital copies of Top Gun Maverick, number one fucking movie this year. Uh, see Top Gun Maverick in theaters and now bring it home on digital. Tom Cruise stars in the spectacular action-packed epic, which critics are calling one of the greatest movies ever made. Buy Top Gun Maverick on digital now and dive into over 110 minutes of incredible behind-the-scenes bonus content available at participating retailers rated PG-13 from Paramount Pictures. And we've got five digital copies. I'm going to be sending out a Top Gun Maverick tweet and facebook post all you have to do is retweet it or share it share this share with me the screenshot that you did so and uh, send that screenshot to contest at popcultureleftovers.com with the title top gun maverick and we'll go over the five winners for the digital codes for top gun maverick next week that's exciting i loved this movie fantastic fucking movie what a throwback to great uh, 80s action movies and I mean seriously I think people were dying to see a movie like this in the theater and it really captured everyone's um, uh, imagination I think families were coming out to see this one people are still seeing this movie in the theater it's still breaking records it most recently beat uh, the domestic box office hall for Avengers Infinity War which is huge and I love this. I love the fact that it's not just comic book movies that are bringing down the box office. It's, it's, it's also, we got Tom Cruise in the action genre doing some, shaking some shit up in Hollywood, keeping theaters alive. I fucking love it. So enter the contest. Very excited about this one. Yeah, I'm excited. There's nearly two hours of extra features, too. I mean, this is a movie that I'm, I'm very interested in seeing, like the making of documentaries and all that stuff so i can't wait to see the special features yeah man i can't i really hope that they have uh, a lot of the uh, uh footage of the cast being taken up in 
in these jets and uh you know it's, that's exactly what i want to see more than anything yeah i want to see like how they all react to like feeling those g's man <laughs> you know it's that's something that most people in their lifetime will not experience and these actors uh experience that and i i there i mean i remember there's a scene in the movie where where uh fucking uh Miles Teller. It's like they. It's this this really quick shot. It's Tom Cruise is is piloting, and they got Teller in the back there, like in, in where Goose would sit. And there's a shot of Teller, uh, and he is he just has like the biggest like like surprised look and smile on his face, and it's like that was natural, like that. That right there, was, it was it was an amazing shot in the movie that I don't know if they they caught it, but it kept in and it made the movie. And I saw it like every time I saw it in the theater, and I was just like, oh my god, these guys are really doing this. This is incredible. It was like the perfect movie for IMAX. Like, yes, I could never imagine being in the cockpit, but for like, you know, that time in the theater, god damn, dude, like, with the sound and the way the screen was, like, you just felt like you were in there. It was, I feel like it's the perfect IMAX movie. It was it was such a fun time. Yeah, and now people get to bring it home. Hopefully you've got a nice surround sound system, nice big screen. But, yeah, seeing it in the theater is an experience all to itself. And, and you know, they recently, as of a couple of weeks ago, brought it back into IMAX when there was really nothing to fill in the IMAX. And, man, it it's, yeah, this is, for me, it's like, I think from beginning to end, it is a perfect fucking action thrill ride. I loved it. Top Gun Maverick. It's it's one of my favorites of 2022, and it's I will watch it many many times throughout my life. It's one of those where a lot of movies that I go back to, if I do have time to go back to them, are like movies from my childhood that I still have nostalgia for. Like I'll go back and watch like the Predator movie and like um, the old Stallone, old Schwarzenegger movies. Like I'll watch Cobra and fucking Commando and and. Nice. You know, that's Conan. I'll, I'll watch the Conans. I'll do like a whole Sunday where I'll knock out both Conan movies. This is up there, man. Like Top Gun Maverick is what, like one of those movies where it's like I've got adult nostalgia. I'll, be, I'll look back in this like when I'm in my fucking 80s, I'll be like, I remember when I was in my 40s and I went to go see Top Gun Maverick and IMAX. You know, it's like it's that big of a fucking movie to me. It really is. Oh, yeah. man. I, like I was the same way. I saw that by myself and then. I just felt the need to take my kids to see it because I'm like, you need to see this movie. Like, it's just like to me, like, because Hazel was the same age I uh, like I was when I saw Jurassic Park. I'm like, you need to see it in this way. Like, this is just this is something special on this screen with this sound. And she loved it. Like, it was just like I I just feel like this kind of brought the movies back. Like, especially when you're talking about like. non-comic book movies like this was everything we needed coming out of the pandemic like to get us back in the theaters like this was everything the movies are about and this movie is just fucking so cool in the theaters and man dude i i think it'd be cool to see all those special features you tell me oh, at the you tell me at the beginning of the year that I'm going to enjoy Top Gun Maverick i'm just talking about me personally you tell me at the beginning yeah. of the year that i'm going to enjoy Top Gun Maverick before I more than I enjoyed like uh, like you know these MCU movies that are coming out this year, I might have been like you know I love Top Gun, but I might have been like a little bit skeptical. 
Yeah. But it, it proved it oh, to me. Oh, for sure. What were you saying, Joe? When this, when news of this first came out, I was like, oh, okay, a Top Gun sequel this many years later, yawn. And then when the, the trailers dropped, I just didn't get around to watching them on social media. And I was in the theater to see something, and it played the Top Gun Maverick trailer, and it blew me away. And I got home, and I, I told my 14-year-old, I'm like, okay, I know you've never seen Top Gun, but you're, you have to watch Top Gun. And I've already bought two tickets for a Top Gun Maverick because you need to see this in the theater just based off that trailer. I was like, this is something that absolutely has to be experienced in the theater. And I think I recommended that one to more people. It was like every conversation I had after seeing Top Gun Maverick, it was, look, I don't care if you don't usually see movies in the theater. You have to go see this one in the theater. Like, it, it demands it. And, yeah. man, the numbers the numbers have borne that to be true. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I, I couldn't count it out off the bat because – right off the bat, I couldn't count it out because of – just getting to see like fighter jets in the theater with the sounds and and stuff like that. I I, I, I was always kind of pumped for that, but man, I was worried about the story and and this hit on every fucking level. Absolutely fantastic! So I'm really excited for our listeners to get the chance to win uh, one of five digital codes. Remember, all these contests are for U.S. residents only. I wish there was something I could do about that guys but that's sadly just the case but uh, for all of our u.s residents please enter these contests uh and we thank paramount uh for for, for all these contests that they uh, allow us to uh promote um let's jump into this week's good pop bad pop it's time for more leftover reviews with good pop Bad Pop! Good Pop, Bad Pop is where we talk about the things in the previous weekend or weeks that we either watched or read. Sometimes we rate these things, and if this is your first time listening, we'd like you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. Oh, my God. I finally, 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 finally. I'd watched all the episodes except for the finale and then went to C2E2, came back, just kind of forgot about it. And then I was like, oh, my God, I haven't watched the finale for Blackbird. Oh, the Apple TV Plus series with Taron Egerton and fucking Ray Liotta and Paul Walter Hauser and uh, finished the finale. Absolute Tupperware. Oh, my God. What an incredible six episode miniseries. This is this is uh, some of the best television I've seen all year. Uh, more people need to be watching Blackbird. If you have Apple TV+, Plus, highly recommend. Some of the shit is very unsettling, but I'm telling you, it's definitely worth a watch. Taron Edgerton puts on a fucking amazing performance. And uh, I felt like by the end of this, like that guy was completely changed in a lot of respects. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And... And I like, like as a kid that grew up like on Ray Liotta movies, like Goodfellas and Field of Dreams. What a fucking way to go out! Like this is one of his last performances. Mm -hmm. He just like he was amazing, and Paul Walter Hausen is terrifying. And but Taron Edgerton makes his case for Wolverine in this man. Like he is. This show worked on every fucking level. This was amazing. I totally agree with you in the Tupperware. I 
like I was so excited to watch this show, but then I feared watching the show because of the subject matter. But it's like they're doing such a good job of telling this amazing story. And it was just, yeah, absolute top horror. I think people are just fascinated by true crime and true crime docs and docu-series and, you know, scripted uh, dramas like this. I just think people are, are fascinated with it. So, you know, for as much as the material, subject material is unsettling, I think it's like we're also kind of like drawn to this kind of shit like look at Mindhunter and like the fans that that show has you know and look mm-hmm. well, just look mm-hmm. at all the people that watch like all the the serial killer you know true crime shit listen to all the you know the true crime podcast people are obsessed with this shit so oh yeah yeah I think uh yeah it's definitely Joe did you finish it I did it was a total Tupperware for me the performances in it were just <clears throat> just unbelievable and I don't see this being a series that I would want to revisit at least anytime soon, but it, it is something that people should watch, especially if you do have, um, if you are one of those people that like the true crime stuff, this is, it's, it's very, very compelling. It's, it's very disturbing, but it's, it's so, it's so well done and it's only six episodes. So yeah. it's a, it's a fantastic miniseries. It is. Very good. Uh, House of the Dragon dropped uh, Sunday, last Sunday on uh, HBO Max. And um, I, I'm calling it HBO Max. It is an HBO production, but whatever. HBO, HBO Max. It's the story of the House of uh, the House Targaryen set 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones. House of the Dragon was created by Martin and Ryan Condal for HBO. Condal and Miguel Sapachnik are the showrunners. Based on parts of the novel Fire and Blood, the series is set about 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones and 172 years before the birth of Daenerys Targaryen. It portrays the beginning of the end of House Targaryen, uh, the events leading up to and covering the Targaryen War of Succession known as the Dance of Dragons. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, we've got a, we've got a cast here. Matt Smith is one of the main guys I want to point out here. He plays Prince Damon Targaryen. Um, and I want to point out that not now, but they are going to do a jump forward and Olivia Cook is joining the cast. She's going to be playing the older Alicent Hightower. We saw the younger version in this episode. I'm not sure which episode. They're going to do the jump, but I, I'm a huge fan of Olivia Cook. Loved her in Thoroughbreds, loved her in uh, Ready Player One, and um, looking forward to seeing what she can do in this series. As For as much as I enjoyed the younger girls in this show, um, I, do, I do love uh, Olivia Cook's previous work, too. But uh, I want to hear what you guys thought of House of the Dragon. I'm going to start with with you, Paul. Paul, what did you think of House of the Dragon on HBO? I'm going to give this the highest of Tupperwares. I really enjoyed this. This took me back to the first, like, four seasons of Game of Thrones. It had all that human drama mixed in with the magic. I I was into this. Uh, there was some of the, like, one of the most shocking scenes, which blew me away. Um, in it, which has caused a lot of controversy. Uh, but I really, I really enjoyed this, and I, I was very skeptical on coming back to this world because of the bitter taste in my mouth of the last season. 
of Game of Thrones, but I think like Matt's mischaracter is very compelling. Um, I uh, I just I was really really into this, so yeah, it's definitely the highest of taste it's right now. And I if they highest keep going, it, you said Tupperware earlier. Oh, did I? I'm sorry. Like I meant taste it okay. because it's only the first episode. I like I I'm not, like I do apologize. Uh, highest of taste it's. Because it is the first episode, there's a lot of world building. They had like a lot of the shock value. It is a high, like it's a high taste. It, but I'm, I can't like if, if it keeps going the way it is, it's it's definitely gonna be a Tupperware. I'm gonna jump in. I I'm gonna give it a Tupperware. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I I thought it was fantastic. I am. I didn't know how excited i was going to be for like a prequel i'm usually not like a big prequel kind of fan um so i was worried about this but i am very even though it's like all laid out and i mean the books don't go over every detail of this so i think a lot of this can they can really elaborate you know as far as like this story and how this all you know the fall of basically the the targaryen dynasty here I mean, we're looking at, I mean, by, by the time we see what the Targaryens are in Game of Thrones, they're basically nothing. And to see them here with 10 dragons, and basically, like, they are like the Roman Empire. They are king shit of fuck mountain. <laughs> and, and we are going to be seeing the fall of the Targaryens. And they said at the beginning, it's like the only way that we're going to fall is like, if we're the ones that do this, like we, we destroy ourselves. I'm like, how do they do that? And like, I think the show is going to be just based on the first episode. I'm in, I, I, my excitement level is through the roof with this show. And I think like another thing that I love about this is it's finally some fucking, I think personally, I don't know what you guys think. It's validation for Matt Smith because the guy was a fantastic Doctor Who. I loved him as the 11th Doctor. He's not my favorite Doctor, but I thought he was great. I, I, I thought Matt Smith was a fantastic Doctor. And, you know, he's had the Terminator Genesis thing, which was terrible. Um, the Morbius thing didn't help him at all. And it's like, I think like most people that, you know, have seen Matt Smith have seen him in like in those two roles. And the, it... They're like, you know, what's the big deal with Matt Smith? You know, and, and I feel like hopefully now people are a little bit more excited for this guy and he's showing that he's got some range here. And uh, I, I liked it. I, I really liked this. It gave me everything kind of like that I wanted to see from this first episode, to be quite honest with you, like what we're dealing with here uh, in this show coming up. And um I, I enjoyed the characters, and they even gave us a little bit of action with uh, the jousting match. And I think they did they, that was filmed in a very interesting way. And it, you know, the jousting match goes off the rails, and people just start killing each other. And you're talking about some brutal fucking kills. Like people's faces are exploding, like it's a fucking Gallagher show where he's hitting <laughs> watermelons with a mallet, man, with that big ass hammer. It was insane. I mean. Just to throw that in there, because I felt like they were like, you know what, you're not going to get a ton of action in this first episode setting it up. So what we'll do is we'll we'll show you what the Targaryens do, because they are like at the top. I mean, they are they're at the top. I mean, what war is there really left to fight for them? So this is how they fucking 
this is all the fucking people in that that are there none of them have been to war and so this is how they kind of get it out man this is how they get that violence out and shit it was i thought it was a very impressive first episode um there were points where i wanted to look away during a certain scene uh during the birth and but i kept i kept watching and i was just like oh my god i mean this is heavy shit but um yeah, I got to give it a Tupperware. I'm surprised that I like this as much. I was not ready for anything Game of Thrones, to be quite honest with you. I, I, I mean, I know there's a lot of hype behind this show, and a lot of people were wanting it. And, and, but then there were people like me that felt burned from the last Game of Thrones. Like, can't we be done with this? You know, and I can't tell you that I'm excited for a Jon Snow spinoff yet, but this gives me hope. And uh, if, we've, if, if they are putting... <laughs> I mean... I mean, they, they filmed that uh, they filmed that one fucking pilot for that other show, and they scrapped it. They spent so much money on that other pilot for that other show that never fucking took off. And so they are very, I think they're very trying to be very particular about what they put out there as far as game as far as Game of Thrones is concerned going forward. I think they did a great job. Um, Jake, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it says about me that all this extreme violence on a Sunday night felt so much like coming home. But yeah, I this was amazing. This was the highest of Tupperwares for me, too. I, I honestly thought this was one of the best pilots for any TV show I've ever seen. Like, it just did so much fucking work in 55, 60 minutes. I mean, multiple characters that I care about already – just we saw action we saw intrigue we kind of get a feeling what the whole season's gonna be yeah and this was just so fucking good um matt smith was definitely a standout i thought the uh the scene where you're introduced to his what are they gold cloaks when they kind of storm king's landing and you know assert their brutality on some of the citizens in king's landing was just such a brutal fucking scene like oh my god what do you, he fucking uh gives that guy the reek treatment at one point i couldn't believe we were seeing that in the first episode but um yeah i know a lot of people were sour about coming back to the world of game of thrones and i've seen a lot of people kind of already 180 after seeing this episode i think it accomplished just so much it had a lot on its plate and it fucking served it up to everyone i this is must-see event tv and I'll, i'll be here every sunday night for it again yeah, yeah, I thought it was fantastic as well. Joe, what did you think about uh, House of the Dragon? Yeah, I'd been looking forward to this one. Uh, I I love the Targaryen history. I haven't read all the novels, but I I have the the like the history encyclopedia type thing that that George R. R. Martin made, and so I've read through quite a bit of the Targaryen history, and I just think it's fantastic. When when a writer will go out of their way and flush out so much of a backstory, and, and with George R. R. Martin, he's got just thousands and thousands of years of very detailed history, and so to when when they announced that they were going to do a show delving into that, I was very excited. In this first episode, it, it was it was a perfect first episode. They did such a good job of of laying out all these details of what's going to come, the the castle intrigue, the the. Uh, the contention between the different heirs for the throne. It's all these different conflicts are getting set up. And the fact that, that they've gone through like a hundred years of peace. And so there's all these knights now that, 
they they're spoiling for a fight without the knowledge of how horrifying war actually is and so we're we're just seeing this bubble of peace that's about to burst and it's going to be so in a horrible way because you've got a, a civil war between dragon riders i mean this is going to be just absolutely terrible and i thought matt smith's uh, portrayal as as Damon Targaryen was so riveting. I can't wait to see what he's going to do uh, with it in the rest of this series. Um, yeah, this was a, this was an absolute Tupperware for me, and I can't wait to see where it's going to go. It's it's going to be something that I'm glued to my TV every Sunday night watching. Yeah, yeah. I, di- I I didn't watch it on Sunday, man. I know a lot of people were watching it Sunday. I think it that I, that might have to change for me going for i didn't watch it till tuesday that's probably a smarter move because i think our hbo max app crashed three times yeah <laughs> while we were watching it and every time it crashed i was like are we fucked are we just gonna have to wait till tomorrow but it, thankfully it let us back in every time but th- that seemed to be a a, a common problem <laughs> throughout throughout i the- saw a lot of that yeah, yeah, the, it was just crashing all over the place. I mean, in HBO Max is kind of a wonky app anyway, and that it crashes at the best of times. Mm. Uh, let alone when you've got a, a large amount of people in the country or in the world, you know, all tuning in at the same time for it. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm hooked. After one episode, I can't. Believe There's been it. a lot of um, a lot of people upset that there wasn't a trigger warning before the episode about the childbirth sequence. Um, I kind of have mixed feelings on that. I, I feel like you're kind of spoiling things with that trigger warning. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's game of Thrones, not to be like not empathetic towards people, but like it's game of Thrones. Like, you know, you're going to get, do they really have to say there's going to be extreme violence that you might not be prepared for (laughs) before the episode? I agree. (laughs) It's game of Thrones. You're going to see some traumatic shit happen. Yeah. Like if we were going to see some fucked up childbirth sequence in like Sesame Street or something like, yes, throw that trigger warning up there. (laughs) Yeah. But but to be sensitive, like it is a this is something that still can that still can happen to people today, like not to that extreme. But, you know, losing a child in childbirth is is something that can that can still happen today. And. I mean, it is. It, it's a. It's a. You're walking a line there. I don't know. Yeah, it just kind of telegraphs the spoiler. I it think, does. You have that trigger warning. That's that's where it's like. Oof, I don't know. I know. It's like. It, like, what's more important? You know, guarding the spoiler or being sensitive <laughs> to our fellow humans. That I don't. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's a tough one. It's it a is. tough one. I, it is. Yeah. I believe in all the sensitivity and stuff, but yeah. it's like, ah, still the story. <laughs> I know. I get it. I get it. I just it don't want to. It was a wild scene. Yeah. It was, it was insane. Yeah. So, yeah, that's House of the Dragon. I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching this uh, week to week. And uh, nice to see Matt Smith finally finally get a little bit of respect for his acting chops because the, the guy is very good. Um, it's got the best acronym, too. Hot D. <laughs> every sunday i'm gonna be lined up for that hot d <laughs> i hope I, I really hope that you're you're not talking about the show no we're talking about a show <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> joe we'll talk off air um <laughs> i'm gonna need a trigger warning before joe and the hot d <laughs> Let's see here. I want to – I didn't put this on the list for everybody, and I just kind of talked to Paul about it because I noticed Paul had finished everything. And 
Uh, so I started, I had some extra time today, so I started uh, the comedy Me Time on Netflix. Paul, did you get a chance to see this? I did, yes. Yeah, Joe, Jake, I didn't put it on the list for you. Um, but uh, it's a new Kevin Hart, Mark Wahlberg movie. With his family away, a stay-at-home dad enjoys his first me time in years by reconnecting with an old friend for a wild weekend that may upend his life. And yeah, it's got Kevin Hart as the family man, his buddy who still lives the wild life is uh, Mark Wahlberg. Um, and then we've also got uh, Regina Hall, Jimmy O. Yang. Um, who's, the, who's the dude? What's the dude's name from fucking Dave? The fucking redhead dude. He's I've never there. watched Dave, but you're talking about the guy that was doing like Adderall lines. Yeah. On family photo. Yeah. I've seen him in other stuff. Yeah, he's in Dave, and he's great in Dave, and he was fucking great in this. He was so good in this. Man, I... Andrew something. He's a stand-up comic. Andrew Santino. There you go, Santino. Yeah, he played Alan Geller in this. And, Paul, I didn't think... Man, I shouldn't have liked this as much as I did, dude. Dude, thank you for saying that, because I love this movie. (laughs) Listen, man. There's, like... So, (laughs) he's the stay-at-home dad. And his wife has, like, this career as an architect, and he's a stay-at-home <laughs> dad. He doesn't feel like he's important, though. But he does a lot for this family and getting the kids ready for school. And he does a lot with, like, organizing things at the school. He does a lot. But he's finally going to get some me time. And the family, uh, the kids are going to go leave with the mom and go on a trip. And so he's going to be all by himself. Dude, when they leave the house and he starts, he's going to fucking, he's pre-gaming so he can go masturbate in the bedroom. Oh, I, my God. <laughs> dude, he the fucking, 90s he turns on, he starts playing in the house that, that seal song, uh, Crazy. And then he starts doing like this pre-game masturbation sexy dance. I was dying laughing. And then when he goes in the bed and he's got he got he grabs like the lotion and shit. He's laying down on the bed with a laptop. And the daughter. And then the fucking he does a search for vintage porn. <laughs> and then his daughter walks in and she goes, "Hi, daddy." And he's fucking naked with the he's got the underwear around the neck. Oh my god! And. The mom comes in and sees him, and she's like, the, the mom's got... She gets it. She's like, Daddy's playing with himself. <laughs> she's like, why is Daddy naked? And the mom is covering up this child's eyes and dragging her out of the room. I was dying, Paul. I was dying, dude. Dude, dude tell me about it, man. I, I was dying. I was fucking dying. And then, there, like, his buddy Huck, played by Mark Wahlberg just like lives like this crazy adventurous life and always has like these wild birthday parties that like can last a week or whatever but he has this one where he's gonna they're gonna go out in the desert for five days and party it up and uh and uh they've got a piss and shit in their own buckets and they're gonna (laughs) they're gonna hunt for them but when kevin hart gets attacked by the mountain lion (laughs) i was fucking i what a mountain lion lion they had a C- oh, <laughs> they had Kevin Hart get attacked by a CG mountain lion. I mean, I I don't know. I fucking I I thought that the chemistry between Hart and Wahlberg was good in this. Wahlberg looks the best he's looked in years in this movie. It looked like he fucking lost ten years of 
like age yes. or whatever. He looked he looked he he got a little bit leaner for this role and he just he looked younger and he looked good in this movie. I was just like he felt youthful. He did feel like, youthful. It was like the Mark Wahlberg of old, man. I don't know, man. I I, I am going to give this the highest of taste it's man. I, I really, really, really like this movie quite a bit. It's called Me Time. What did you think, Paul? Man, I'm right there with you. Highest of taste it's I think the ending could have been a little bit more solid, but god damn, dude, if this wasn't like just turn off your brain, watch something that's gonna distract you for like two hours and just have some like laugh out loud fucking moments. I yeah, I'm so glad we were texting today and you said you're going to watch this because I saw it pop up. I'm like, oh, I, I can't believe we're not watching this. And you're like, hey, yeah, man, like me time just dropped. I think we'll watch. I'm like, oh, I got I, I got some me time to watch me time. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> man, dude, like I know I was on before for like the man from Toronto. This is so superior of a Kevin Hart movie. Yes. I, I thought he killed it. Like, as a dad myself, I related a lot to just wanting your own time to yourself, but still wanting to be, like, the best dad you can be. But, man, and just, like, I loved how dumb, like, like, I, like, I don't know if dumb's the word, but, like, how Mark Wahlberg's character would celebrate the most weirdest birthday milestones. Like, at the beginning, he's celebrating turning 29. Yeah. In present time, he's celebrating turning 44, and they're like, this isn't, like, this isn't big. Um, dude, Brian, I fell in love with the fucking Uber driver. Oh, God, yeah. I fucking loved her so much. Uh, John Amos. John Amos. In this. Yes. Dude, he was fucking great. Like, I just, I had the funnest time with this. This is such a fun like meaningless movie that you like for me there's multiple moments where i laughed out loud where i had to like pause it because i thought i was gonna miss something but i i thoroughly enjoyed this movie like yeah kevin hart he really i mean outside of like the rock movies this is one of his better ones i really enjoyed this i liked it too man uh the uber driver man she looked like like, if somebody were telling me, like, Andre the Giant had a daughter that nobody knew about, I'd be like, Dude, oh, it's her. It's her. It's her. <laughs> it's her. And fucking, co- like, comb over stew. I love comb over stew. Dude, at the end, when he fucking said, when he <laughs> Howie said, Mandel. I thought he looked like Howie Mandel before he said it. When he said it, I was like, oh my God, of course. I honestly thought like the cameo boyfriend, like like I thought like an actual boyfriend was going to come in and it was going to be Howie Mandel. Oh, that'd be hilarious! Yeah, and like just like the whole George Clooney comparison. Oh yeah, the Clooney shit. Yeah, I was fucking dying because like that's kind of meta, you know? Like George Clooney had Ocean's Eleven, and then Mark Wahlberg did the Italian Job. Like I just, I, I I was here for all of it. I like I do think. The ending could have been a little more tightened yeah, up, but yeah. I, I really did. This was just it, a fun, this was a fun fucking movie. It made me laugh, man. It made me laugh at at the end of you know at the end of the day when I watched this movie, I was just like, man, that made me laugh, and I I appreciated that. It was stupid in parts, like the the talent show and that kid singing his fucking heart out and doing a great job, and he was like, that <laughs> shit. was shit. <laughs> <laughs> hallelujah! I'm like, this is better than any Zack Snyder movie. 
like, get out of here. Do um, not. No, uh, Zach. I still, I still, <laughs> I still love you, Zach. I, I still love you, Zach, man. I don't care how many of you motherfuckers get on this podcast and bash <laughs> Zach. I am going to stand up for <laughs> Zack Snyder movies. I don't give a fuck. I love Zack Snyder movies. No, anyway. but it gave me a great idea to steal somebody's uh, left shoes of all of their pairs. Oh, my God. To yeah. throw away. That was, that was evil. Yeah. That was so evil. And, like, I never knew I needed this many tortoises in a movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad I got them. But I, I, here's the thing. It's like I, it, was, it was a late addition to the, the episode this week. I'm glad you watched it, Paul. Um, I'm glad I watched it, to be quite honest with you, because I saw it. I popped up Netflix, um, and it was like number one in movies this week. Number one. And I was just like, you know, why, why is this not on the show? And so I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I got some time. Let's knock this out. I'm glad I did it. Me time. Me time. High tasted. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Fun um, time, man. Fun, yeah. fun fucking time. Yeah. Oh, I want to let everybody know I did not get a chance to go to the theater this week and see Rogue One and IMAX with the uh, additional uh, Andor footage. I have tickets to go see it on Tuesday. So hopefully next week I'll be able to talk about my experience with uh, Rogue One again. I, I'm watching it in IMAX just to kind of you know prepare myself for the andor series which i'm really excited for coming out next month late next month and and i want to see that and i want to see the extended footage hopefully some stuff that we haven't seen you know in the trailer and uh because i'm i don't i'm telling you out of all the star wars shows you know besides the mandalorian i think i'm the most excited for andor and i and it really came down to that first fucking trailer just wowing the shit out of me just like wow it's the on uh, uh, you know on location filming and uh i mean i i guess people can say like we already know what happens to like a lot of these you know characters but on the flip side it's like they're introducing a lot of new characters that we don't know and uh i i mean for them to for them to be like you know what we're doing two seasons of this and i kind of like Who's the, is it Derek? Who's, is it, oh God, who's the, who's the showrunner on this one? The guy that's not the, he's not a fan of Star Wars. Oh, I forget his name. Uh, Gilroy? Tony Gilroy? Yes, that is it. Tony Gilroy is like not a fan of Star Wars. He's the guy that came in and kind of like, uh, was it, was it, uh, Gareth, is it Gareth Edwards was the director for Rogue One and. Yes, they kind of kicked him off the project and tried to keep it quiet. But Tony Gilroy was the guy who came up, came in and finished the movie. He's not a fan of Star Wars, but he just wanted to give it like a military movie type feel. And I honestly feel like, you know, for like all the people that bash this guy for not being a Star Wars fan, I think like, I think that kind of (laughs) helped. (laughs) with rogue one and i you know so i don't care if he's a fan or not a fan just give me more of what you gave me and fucking what you were able to pull together in rogue one and do it in this andor series and i'm here for it because you know i even if you look at like what lucas did lucas was like a, a fan of uh you know samurai films and western films and um oh god what's the other one what's the other like science fiction fantasy not flash gordon but dune 
Dune. Dune's another one, but I'm thinking of something else and I can't think of the name of it. But anyway, you know, Lucas pulled from a lot of other elements from other types of movies and genres, and that's just what Tony Gilroy's doing. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with fucking Andor. But let's talk about let's talk about Mo on Netflix. Uh Mo is their new comedy series. Uh Mo uh Mohammed Amir plays Mo in a series it's about a pa- Palestinian American Muslim man who grew up in Kuwait until that is the Gulf War sent his family to live undocumented in Houston, Texas where they wait for their asylum claim to be heard. And uh, it's created by Muhammad Amir and uh, Rami Youssef from the uh, series Rami. And then uh, Muhammad Amir also um, uh, is in the the show on Hulu, Rami. But um, this is an eight-episode comedy series. And I was, I was looking this up. It's, ba- it's, it's loosely based on his real life. And... There was a title from an article from The Guardian, and it was like, Mo Review, it, it, is, it is impossible not to become instantly invested in this warm, moving comedy. And I'm going to find out on this podcast from you guys if you felt the same way, because I finished all eight episodes. It's an absolute Tupperware for me. But I want to hear what you guys have to say about Mo. And I'll start with you, Paul. Yeah, I am. Um, I just finished this sec. Like the, I just finished the sixth episode, and this is my favorite thing I watched this week. Uh, I am so in love with this show. Like it. Like I'm not gonna lie, it took me two episodes to really get into this. I feel like the first one did kind of a lot of setting the tone for the comedy, but you know, like it's about this guy that's just like it's so cool. Cause like he, like he really speaks three languages. He does, you know, like the Arabic, um, he does, uh, Spanish and he does English. And it's just him juggling his life, like trying to do, like trying to be the best he can be for his family, his fiance, uh, dealing with what it's like to be somebody from Palestine. Um, I thought this show just fucking hit on every level. He is, he is charming as hell. Um, he reminds this, me of the Palestinian John Favreau. Yeah, yeah, and his voice sounds a lot like Wolf, like uh, uh, Seth Rogen. I was thinking Seth Rogen and Jeff Garland. Yeah, yeah, you are, you are totally right. I <laughs> Michelle I thought, thought he sounded like Ray Romano. Oh, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She thought Ray Romano was on the TV from the kitchen. That's crazy. I didn't get that. I might have to listen to it somewhere. <laughs> That's wild. I I absolutely love this. Like like it, it, it's got a lot of the comedy in the first two episodes, and then we really mix that with drama. But he never loses like his sense of self, and I think a lot of first seasons of a show don't do a lot of bringing in the side characters. They kind of like to focus on yeah. the main character. And this show really brings in all of the side characters. I love his buddy, his Nigerian buddy. Oh my God. He is like, I yeah. just finished the episode of uh, the fake wedding or uh, the, uh, the pretend wedding. And I, I, man, I cannot speak highly enough of this show. This is something I never would have watched if it wasn't on the list. But this was an absolute Tupperware, my favorite thing I watched this week. You just can't help but 
just gets so connected into everything that goes into his life. Like, yeah, he does shady shit, but like, it's all for a good purpose. I mean, he has to, I mean, he's forced to because he doesn't, I mean, he's not an American citizen and he can't fucking find a legit job. So he has to fucking work undocumented. And it's like, you think about like all the people that, uh, fucking want to work that want to fucking provide for the families here in the States and shit that want to live like a honest life and shit. Like this is the guy he wants to live the American dream. And he can't, he's like fucking his life. Like basically like his life, his career, anything that he wants to do is all on pause because he's, you know, basically living life is like a, a refugee in Houston. And it's, it's crazy, man. I, Teresa Ruiz, who plays his girlfriend in this, I loved her in father stew. I love her in this. She is so good in this, man. She she might be my favorite character in this so far of what I've seen. And just like, you know, like I do love that the comedy's there, but like the threat of like ice is still always in the background. And yeah, like his turmoil with like the lawyer and all of that and like finding the new lawyer. I just yeah, this was this was definitely a gem, man. I, I absolutely love this. I can't wait to finish the final two episodes of this first oh, season. Oh, man. Wait until you finish the final two episodes, dude, and what it sets up. Oh, man. Wait. Okay. I'm not going to spoil shit, but just wait until it like sets up season two. Make Paul, make sure to click I love this. Oh, I, I already have. I did. I did too, man, because I fucking I already have. Love I fucking this show. enjoy the shit out of this. I love this show. My favorite character is Mo. I lo- I just love Mo, man. He's so good. Yeah, he's he's so, he like like he's oh my god. Like I I fell in love when he went to a baseball game. Like I loved how that like all set up. I love his brother. Yeah, his brother's like on the spectrum, right? His brother's on the spectrum, and they're just covering all of that. Like, like I like I feel like it's such like a light show, but it it takes in so many like deep stuff, mm-hmm. and it never hits you over the head with it. I want to try the fucking olive oil that his mom makes. You know? Oh my mm-hmm. god, this show makes yes. me so fucking hungry. Yeah. Chicken yeah. and a cone, baby. <laughs> yeah, that shit looked good. I fucking this is an absolute Tupperware, man. Joe, what did you think about Mo? I watched the first two episodes, and right away in the first episode, I was endeared to this main character. Uh, this is a Tupperware for me as well. I was really surprised by it. I, I I didn't know anything about this show going in, and just immediately endeared to the main character Mo, and and you really feel for him too because he's put into this position where. He's this very smart, very capable person, and he's just getting screwed by the fact that he's here without papers. And he's had a a trash lawyer for over 20 years that's not getting stuff moving as fast as as should be done. And, you know, this is this is a guy who, yeah, he was born somewhere else and he lived somewhere for a while. But I mean, this guy is 100 percent an American. And in just the fact that he doesn't have his citizenship papers, it's forcing him into this area where he has to do shady shit to be able to provide for his family. But, man, I'm just 100 percent along for the ride with this guy. Mm. And I'm very worried about him, too. I don't I I was watching this worrying about him because it's like, oh, I don't want to see him doing illegal stuff because it's like you don't never break the law while you're already breaking the law. Yeah. And. You know, and like the scene where he's DJing in the strip club and, and the, the ice guy comes in and he hides and you feel that fear that, that he has. You know, he goes from 
kind of being on top of the world, you know, doing this, doing this thing where you know, the guy, tell, basically the guy tells him when he comes in, like, look, nobody comes to a titty bar to see the DJ. And he's like, well, let's see if we can change that. And as soon as he starts <laughs> announcing the dancers, it's just so fun. And, and you yeah. can tell everybody in the strip clubs, even like, look, look at this guy. It's great. But then as soon as he sees that ice jacket, like he's just terrified. And, you know, how do you not feel empathy for a character like that? And I, I love. I love the connection that he has with his family. His brother with his cat is such a funny character. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, all of his friends, his, his girlfriend, uh, the the fact that his his mom, you know, really wants him to settle down with with an Arab girl, but you know, he he has a Mexican girlfriend, and they've got this great relationship. And yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent in for the rest of this, and I'm so excited to hear. The, that you watched all of it and it's yeah. a Tupperware. It just makes me want to watch it even more. It is fucking great, dude. Paul, have you gotten to the episode where they get fucking pulled over by the cops? Uh, yes. I don't want to spoil it, but my God, dude, my Paul, heart was racing. I was sweating. I did was you, sweating. <laughs> did, you have, did you have the meat sweats? Like in fucking... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, like, it, like, I did not think... Like, uh, w- like when you send the list, that kind of went to the bottom of it because I'm like, oh, I'd never heard of this. And yeah. man, man, I was just I felt bad. I didn't give myself enough time to watch the whole series. It's so good. dude. Uh, I was talking about the meat sweats from uh, me time when Kevin Hart was puking all over the place. <laughs> Dude, I, I feel like that's become Kevin Hart's thing now. Like he puked in the man from Toronto, <laughs> and when he pukes in this, like I was dying. Like it's just, yeah, the meat sweats. Oh man, those are bad meat sweats too. Oh, god. oh my god, I kind of want to watch that again. Yeah, was good. I love that fun. movie so much. That was good. Jake, what'd you think about Mo? Yeah, it's a Tupperware for me as well. I've only watched the first two episodes so far. But, I mean, yeah, this show is everything. Uh, the lead, Mo, is just so fucking charming. And, I mean, it's funny. It's empathetic. It's dramatic. It's emotional. I mean, even just within the first episode, it had me crying at the end of the episode. Like, when his mom sees his tattoo for the first time and then he explains, you know, the origin of said tattoo, I mean – I'd be lying if I wasn't saying that I was welling up and it's, it's not very often that I'm endeared to a lead character within 30 minutes as fast as I was endeared to this character. Um, yeah, it's, I, this is just so well done. It's a slice of life that I'm not a hundred percent familiar with. So it's just fun to learn about. And yeah, I love his girlfriend as well. And the, the religion stuff with his family and his girlfriend and, yeah, I can't wait to see the. It's only eight episodes. Yeah, eight episode first season. Yep. Yeah, I hope this gets renewed. I mean, the the scare with Netflix is you, you never know anything could get canceled for any reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only watched the first two episodes. I've already clicked that thumbs up myself just yeah. to help them out because yeah. man, I mean, this guy deserves a season two. This is so much fucking fun. I thought a lot of the music choices were very inspired as well. Um, yeah, just what a great show. Yeah, he did an interview with uh, Complex.com. If you're a fan of the show, highly recommend looking up this article. It's titled How Mo Amir Turned His Family's Refugee Story into Netflix's Latest Must-See Show, Mo. And so I highly recommend checking out that article. If you're a fan of the show, they got an interview. They talked to him. It's it's an incredible show, incredible interview, and uh, fucking Tupperware party for fucking Mo. One of the... 
one of the best fucking dramedies that I've seen this year. Absolutely fucking fantastic. So yeah, put Mo on your watch list on Netflix and start that now. Uh, next thing I want to talk about is Untold, The Rise and Fall of And One. Untold is a series, and each series is focusing like on a different thing, whether it be sports or whatever. These are untold stories. It's like a lot of people maybe have like maybe a passing knowledge of this or they don't know about it at all. But this untold gives you the full story. And I'm glad that we covered this one because this is something that I was really big into in the early 2000s. Um, I'll get into that here in a second, but this is the untold, the rise and fall of and one focusing on famed and one mixtape and accompanying and one mixtape tour untold, the rise and fall of and one features interviews with fame and one street ballers like the professor hot sauce, the main event, uh, Shane, the dribbling machine and Rafer Skip to Malou Alston, directed by Oscar-nominated filmmaker Kevin Wilson Jr., the documentary outlines how the brand exploded onto the scene and saw meteoric downfall despite its success. Inspired by New York City streetball, influential brand and one turned local legends on the court into international icons. So why did it all come to an end? I was a huge fan of of and one and the mixtapes and then i remember i couldn't remember like what it was on i asked everybody on on uh on twitter before i'd watched this i was like where where can where was those fucking that that show that that uh, fucking it was like a docu-series that they had and it was on espn and that's where i was first introduced to these guys and then, then I went on to watch like the mixtapes and shit like that. But my favorite, like these guys were doing like moves on the court. They had insane handles, some insane tricks. And it was all like, you know, remember that time where fucking Allen Iverson fucking enters the league and he's going one on one against Jordan. And a lot of people said he carried it and blah, blah, blah. But he fucking, he was fucking juking back and forth and shit. And his handles were insane, and Jordan like fucking lost his balance, and and he Iverson just shook Jordan, and like everybody talked about that, like that's what these guys are doing here, like they're playing a basketball game. Some of the moves, if not a lot of the moves, were like illegal. You couldn't do this shit in an NBA game, but it's just it's it, it's basically an art what they're doing, and kind of like that Tony Hawk documentary we watched where Tony Hawk would like change skateboarding these guys were changing street ball and i mean the and one mixtape is kind of like where i learned about rucker park what these guys were doing in rucker park and then i mean i was a huge fan of hot sauce i man when i saw what hot sauce could do in the early 2000s i remember going to work and there's a guy that i used to work with and we talk about the and one mixtape we talk about the espn show and we're just like oh my god oh my god you know professor was awesome but my favorite was always hot sauce and a lot of like something that they didn't cover in this fucking series is the fact that these guys did get ripped off they did cover it but not everything these guys did get ripped off nike ripped them off um and i remember when i remember half man half amazing and what ends up happening is i remember a I remember a Slam magazine came out with Vince Carter on the front, and it said, Half Man, Half Amazing. And I'm like, you guys are ripping off the fucking street baller. That's, 
he's not ha- Vince Carter's not half man half amazing. It's like everybody's ripping off Am One, and uh, the the documentary left me sad. Um, these guys put their heart and soul into And One, into these into these street games. These guys put their heart and soul, and to find out like what they were getting paid compared to the people that actually owned And One and sold And One, it kind of broke my fucking heart that these guys were I think that they were badly taken advantage of and um, I just remember how big this was in the early 2000s and to find out that these guys were basically they had no stock options or anything they were left with pretty much nothing that they built up yes somebody else found them somebody else promoted them somebody else brought them into fame but like these guys contracts were nothing compared to NBA players and it was, it was nothing compared to like the money that they were actually bringing in for the company and one but I found it fascinating uh, this was an absolute Tupperware for me it was interesting to find out what happened to and one because it, it was like it was like it was there one day and then like in a few years it was like gone so I Tupperware this um, Joe did you get a chance to see this I did and this was something I didn't know anything about any of this like i'd heard of and one but i didn't know anything about the street ball nothing like i i remember and one in the dudes i went to high school with had shirts that said and one and they all had something to do with basketball that was all i knew about it (laughs) and so a lot of this documentary was a real revelation to me because i didn't know anything about any of it and you really hit the nail on the head when you this doc is is kind of sad because these players were absolutely exploited. And when when these players are all kind of talking about that part of it, it's like some of them are like, fuck yeah, we were exploited. I went and asked this guy for some money to put my kid through school, and he looked me in the eyes and said, we can't help you. And then there were other people that had a thing of like, oh, this was a really great experience. I got to do things that I would have otherwise never done in my life. Got to you know go and travel all over the world doing this. And... But but for me, it did leave me feeling like these guys were kind of screwed over by this. And, and the one guy that was even in charge saying like, oh, I, you know, that's terrible that somebody told that to him and wouldn't put his kid through school. If it, if it was me, I guess I'm pretty sorry about that. And it's like the most noncommittal shit ever. So uh, and the one guy like practically ruining his life because he was overworking so much. Um, so yeah, th- there was a lot for me to learn in this, and and I walked away thinking that these people who originally started this and one company, man, th- there's there was some real shady shit going on with those guys. Man, you know, it's just one of those things. Like when they went to war with Nike, you just know it's not going to end well. <laughs> oh, and especially at the start too, it's like they're starting with this big chunky shoe, and and right away, uh, what player was it that injured his ankle with it? Stefan Marbury. Yeah, right away somebody injures it, and they, they these guys just look at each other and like, well, I guess we're fucked now. Yeah, and then it just kind of worked out with the whole, you know, putting out the tape with the street ball and stuff, and then kind of built up from there. And uh, I loved when it brought up that old school Nike commercial, though, that when Nike was directly competing with them on the street ball thing, because that was an epic commercial. That was an epic ad campaign that yeah. Nike put out in the nineties for that. Yeah, total ripoff of And One, though. Oh, speaking of stuff on Marbury, you want to watch a great fucking documentary? Watch his documentary, Joe. You would enjoy this. Not even oh, knowing, sweet. not even knowing anything about stuff on Marbury. Um, you should. I think it's called A Kid from Coney Island, 
And I highly, highly, I needed to watch that because I just remember this guy being so promising. I loved it when he played for the Timberwolves. I thought him and Kevin Garnett were eventually going to bring a championship to Minnesota. And then it's like he just goes from like one franchise to another franchise and couldn't bring, he couldn't do anything with the Knicks or the Nets. And it was just like, then he's out of the league. And I'm like, what happened to Stephon Marbury? And man, what a great fucking documentary to watch if you are a fan of Stefan Marbury or if you're not maybe it'll turn you around on the guy so I highly recommend that it's called A Kid from Coney Island um, but anyway Paul what did you think about uh, the rise and fall of And One man I, I'm going to echo a lot of what Joe said the only thing I really remember about And One was all the trash talking t-shirts that us kids would wear to school um but I did not know about the mixtapes, and I like the same thing with that. Like CEO was like, "Oh yeah, like if you talk to me about like wanting fifteen thousand dollars for his kid to go to school, like oh you come on, dude, you would remember that. Like you're a fucking asshole." Um, but I totally Tupperware this. I thought it was a fantastic piece of storytelling. Untold has become one of my favorite documentaries they did one last week or a couple weeks ago about the Notre Dame football player with the catfishing and I just I think they're doing such a great job here on Netflix I think more people need to watch this show this end one like it gave me a lot of the member berries I remember all those t-shirts but I did not know about like the actual league they had and the people they were drawing, it's like, oh, yeah, dude, like once Nike gets a hold of you, like you're fucking done. Mm-hmm. Like there's no one competing with that. And it was kind of cool, like how they capitalized a little bit on Jordan leaving yeah. the NBA. So all of that was cool. But like the thing with the Untold series, and I know like it's probably hard to do because people might not want to do it. But like, let's get these people in the same room to really discuss this shit. <laughs> like, 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 especially like with the Manti Teo thing last or two weeks ago, this would have been a Jerry Springer episode though, that's man. Oh, yeah, <laughs> man. But like, that's kind of what I want. Like, let's see them actually bounce this shit off of each other. Like, like, it, like it was so great. Like to have the one guy, I think it was hot sauce and his friend were, Hot sauce is like, yeah, dude, they fucked us over. No, that was the, that was the main event. Oh, all right. I'm, like, I, I do apologize for that, but he's like, yeah, man, like, yeah, but they did. He's like, no, dude, fuck that shit. Like, they didn't. Like, it's garbage. And like, hindsight is a beautiful thing, but come on, man. Like, you knew what you had. You could have given these guys stock options. They rode their. They the fucking shit. rode their backs, man. The enti- was, you know what I mean? Yeah. To success. That's what they did. That's all they did. They exploited these guys. Man, it's bullshit, dude. For me, it was just like I hadn't seen these guys in probably 15, 17 years. And I'm just like, holy shit, that's hot sauce now. That's the main event now. That's the professor now. I hadn't seen these guys in like fucking nearly 20 years. I just – I for if you're a fan, man, you if you're a fan of And One – and I know there's probably a, quite a few of you listening. This is a must fucking watch. I'm sorry, Paul. No, no, no. Like I like, and I do like. If if you really enjoyed this episode, please go back and watch the rest of the Untold series. It's 
it's at this level. I think this might be their best episode, but they do a good job of capturing like both sides of the story. The end one one is a little lopsided because they did get fucked over, but a lot of the other ones really present you both sides of the story, and it's it's pretty fucking captivating. It'd be co- it'd be crazy, Jake, if like one day we just stopped doing the show and people were like, "What happened to PCL?" Untold. <laughs> yeah, dude. Leftovers. <laughs> Untold. Colon. This. The, the. What really happened to pop culture leftovers? We were taken down by big sneaker Nike. And at the beginning, <laughs> at the beginning of it, all you do, all you see is like a wave file, and it's like, <laughs> it's it's like, welcome to pop culture leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. And I'm Jake, and we're the leftovers. And where did they go? <laughs> and now they're not the leftovers. Yeah, I, I can hear people reviewing that on their podcast now. I, I've never heard of this pop culture leftovers, but this was a fascinating life and ball story. <laughs> yeah, man. And to think it, and the, they talk about Batman eating vagina on the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Paul falls asleep during the interview. (laughs) (laughs) The gift that keeps on giving for you. Paul's emotion when that gets brought up cannot be fake. They interview Joe. They interview Joe and he's like, stoked to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Joe was on that episode. Uh, yeah, Jake, what did you th- did you watch this, Jake? I did, I did. I, I loved this. This was a Tupperware for me as well. I knew nothing about any of this. And um, it sounds like either way you watch this, it's very entertaining. But from my perspective, like knowing nothing just made it so entertaining. Like the closest I've come to knowing about this kind of thing is playing the EA street games on video game systems. And honestly, I thought a lot of those handles and passes and stuff you could do in those games was fictional video game bullshit. It was, it blew me away to see like fucking hot sauce and main event and professor like doing these things in fucking real life. Like yeah. the closest I've ever seen to anything like this would maybe be like the Harlem Globetrotters. But yeah. even that is like not the greatest comparison. Like I just thought it was super cool that it wasn't even about winning or losing. It's about, you know, captivating the crowd and who gives a shit if you travel or double dribble, if you impact the crowd with your fucking style and your moves and for them to go like head to head with fucking big sneaker Nike. And like, like you said, Brian, you knew how that was going to end up. And it was kind of like, even before the outcome happened and I saw it, I was already kind of getting sad and pissed off. Um, I loved seeing like the professor and his rise into the whole thing. I thought that was one of the most fascinating parts about it. Um, man, like, cause I didn't know the story and to see that he was on the first episode of the ESPN show and, you know, they're talking to him in the car afterwards, like how he's got to make it through, what, 30 some more shows to be able to win this thing. I'm like, well, they're just showing this guy because he's the winner of the first show. He's obviously not going to make it all these shows and win this whole thing out. I, I was surprised by that. And just like the evolution, seeing him when he started and the determination and like what he became through this, I thought was really inspiring. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are like in their shell and shy people. And it 
to see him come out of that shell and just have so much fun and energy, I thought was really fucking inspiring. And yeah, this was great. Um, you know, you, you guys kind of talk about it being a negative. I, I, not to say that I enjoyed it being a downer or a negative, but I liked that it was, it was honest with me. And Brian, you sound like it could have been a little bit more honest and not knowing the story. I really didn't know the extent of how fucked over these guys all were, but I mean, I definitely did get from it that these guys were fucked. Yeah. No, I'm saying like, dude, I I love this documentary and I'm glad that it was mostly honest here. I feel like some of the guys were holding back on both sides, but it left me sad for these guys and what they put into this and kind of like what they were left with at the end of the day. You know, it's like. Yeah, they do have like that street cred and they've got a little bit of a legacy, but I mean, after all that, like do they they don't have the money that I feel like they should. I feel like just like a lot of sports talent people in high places are bu- are fucking profiting off of their hard work and it's sickening. It is sickening. And I mean, it was just so impressive. Like the guy that was doing the camera work had never like done anything like that in his entire life. And like the shots that he got were just so good. Like who knows if someone that was familiar with that would have gotten those angles or those perspectives. I think the fact that he didn't know what he was doing, it was just trying to capture how it felt to him brought a whole new life to the footage itself. So, yeah, this was great. I, I would watch the old ESPN show if it was available somewhere digitally. Mm, I think you can watch a lot a lot of this shit on YouTube, dude. That's the place to go. Yeah, watch it on YouTube. It was crazy to see, was it MTV where they did the, the ripoff version of it? Yeah. And they just spent so much more money on it. I, I do remember that show. I never really watched it, but I remember its existence. And I, like Joe, I remember the epic Nike ads that they put out. So, yeah, this put a whole new perspective on street basketball and that scene that I honestly never even knew really existed to this extent. I mean, these guys are inspired by the games that they saw when they were kids at Rucker Park. And it exposed a lot of us fucking people that, you know, didn't grow up in New York City that couldn't watch those games to like street ball that was happening in New York. And. You know, it brought a lot of the rucker into our fucking living rooms, man, in the early 2000s. This is my first exposure to, like, these guys, hot sauce and main event. And, I mean, these are, to tell you the truth, it's like, these are names I haven't forgotten. It's like, when I saw this documentary of the And One mixtape, I was just like, holy shit, dude. I remember, like, these names stuck with me. I'm talking for, like, 15, 17 years out I'm still thinking of the professor, fucking hot sauce, main event, skip to Malou. I know Rafael Alston played in the NBA, but, you know, these are guys that I fucking, like, they entertained me. That was a show that really stuck with me, man. So, highly recommend this. I don't even think you have to be into fucking basketball to watch this. And I know I say that about a lot of the basketball documentaries, but there's so much drama in sports that I think anybody can really get into this shit. So... Um, I would co-sign that. I mean, the only confusion I had was it took me about 15 minutes to realize there were going to be no beats on these mixtapes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw Breaking. I don't think anybody else got a chance to see Breaking, did they? I did not. Oh. Joe? 
Joe, are you on mute, sir? What's going on there, buddy? I was on mute. Apologies. Yeah, no, I did not get a chance to see Breaking. All right, Breaking. Uh, this is a theatrical release. Uh, desperate for money and running out of options, Marine veteran Brian Brown Easley holds several people hostage inside a bank, setting the stage for a tense confrontation with the police. Uh, it's based on the real-life story of the late Brian Brown Easley, a former Marine Corps veteran in financial trouble. Easley is concerned over the effects of this on his daughter, alongside the prospects of homelessness to the point of robbing a Wells Fargo bank with a bomb threat in 2017. Uh, it stars John Boyega as uh, Brian Brown Easley. And uh, it's written and directed by Abi Damaris Corbin and co-written by Kwame Kwai Arma. And it's based on the 2018 Task and Purpose article, They Didn't Have to Kill Him by Aaron Gell. And um, I, I want, it, it also stars uh, Connie Britton, uh, Jeffrey Donovan. And this is one of, if not his last performance, it's one of his last performances before he passed away last year in September, uh, Michael Kenneth Williams. But... Uh, it's a powerful fucking movie, and it's uh, man. I'm, I'm going to give it a super high taste. I think the the performances here by Boyega and Michael Kenneth Williams. I'm just going to give those two alone a Tupperware on their performances. Fucking incredible. Um, this just feels all too real. Like it's not like Hollywood sensationalized at all. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, this guy was a Marine, and it feels like he had some... Uh, he definitely was taking some medication for some uh, uh, for some sort of, like, uh, mental illness that he had been dealing with. And um, it, it doesn't confirm in the movie if he was off his meds or not off his meds or whatever, but he finds out that the VA is not going to pay him that they've taken his money. And so I don't know if you can hear my cat crying in the background. I cannot. Okay. Okay. Good. You okay, buddy? All right. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so he finds out that they're not going to pay him. And so he's worried about his daughter. Um, and he's worried about ending up on the street and he, Basically, I and I don't, I'd have to look more into it. I don't know if the bomb, no, 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 I do, I do. I'm not going to say anything, but uh, he he goes into Wells Fargo Bank and lets most of the people leave, keeps two employees in there, and threatens to blow the place up. And all he wants is the money that's in his account to be there. That's all he wants. He doesn't want to hurt anyone, he just wants the money to be there. And um, yeah, I, ugh. It's a hard, it's a, it was a hard one to rate for me. Um, I do think the performances are absolute Tupperwares. It was a hard watch. It was really a hard watch, and it left me fucking feeling uh, really bad for the guy and also had me feeling, I mean, bad for him. It felt bad for him because he fought for the country, and this is what he has to deal with, and he felt like he had to go to these measures, and he's also suffering from mental illness, but it also made me feel bad for the two employees that were stuck in there with him. I think like at least one of them, the way that they portrayed her is going to have life, la- like, like life lasting repercussions, bad repercussions from like this experience. And it's like, how, you know, it's like now I'm, I'm sure she doesn't even want to work in a bank. I'm sure she doesn't work in a bank to this day. 
Like, how could you ever want to work in a bank after being threatened for, you know, hours on end that, you know, you might blow up. So it's a powerful fucking yeah, no movie. Way. It's a powerful fucking movie. Michael Kenneth Williams is great. Um, if this is not his final performance, it it's one of. And he was really fucking good in this movie. So it's a, it's a very high taste it for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was breaking with John Boyega and John Boyega fucking puts on a clinic in this movie. I was really impressed. I'm glad to see this guy get another role, if not more roles, hopefully in the future after the debacle, in my opinion, that was fucking <laughs> the star Wars trilogy. The most recent, I, I think even if you don't think episode nine was a debacle, you have to agree that what they did with the character of Finn by episode nine was a bit of a debacle, a huge, huge debacle. Yeah. Uh, welcome. Can we, br- can we break? I knew it. I fucking I, knew it. I actually don't even have to pee. My mute button is not working. I need to hang up on the call and join back in. Okay. All right. Go pee while you're at it too. Oh, Take I'm advantage gonna, of that as well. Thing, but the, the <laughs> genesis of this break is my broken mute button and my desire to sneeze if I have to. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. You win this round, Mister Jake. <laughs> <laughs> this turned on James Bond all of a sudden. <laughs> Foiled again. <laughs> I saw you stroking your cat as you said that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll be right back so Jake can fix his mute button. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. I sound like Morgan Freeman. I bet most of you do some online shopping with Amazon. It's just so easy. I myself logged in today to buy adult diapers. No, I'm not embarrassed. I have zero shame. And I really don't give a fuck what you think. I'm at that age. You'll get here too one day. And don't think that you won't, you naive asshat. One day you too will be just like Jamie Lee Curtis and shitting your body weight in Dan and yogurt, and the next thing you know, you'll be on Amazon ordering adult diapers saying, holy shit, that freckled face fucker was right. Anyway, the whole point of this is to tell you that popcultureleftovers.com has an Amazon shopping link. What that means is when you click on the link from their website, it helps the show. It doesn't charge you extra at all. You just shop like you regularly would, and Amazon takes care of the rest. It's easy and convenient, just like these diapers. I literally blew up this diaper while recording this ad. Hashtag truth. All right, we are back. Resident Diva Jake is good to go. Is the mute button working out for you there, buddy? Let me try it again. Did you hear me call you an asshole? (laughs) (laughs) yes i did Uh, i I think we've been spending so much time together that it's like that twin thing you know where i kind of (laughs) like i felt it you know yeah i believe it i believe it yeah anyway let's talk about let's talk about our next uh show uh this dropped on fx and it's also on hulu uh, welcome to Wrexham. Uh, in September 2020, American actor Rob McElhenney and Canadian, Canadian-American actor Ryan Reynolds announced their intention to buy Wrexham AFC, a Welsh professional association football club based in the racecourse ground in Wrexham in the UK. And uh, yeah, 
they uh, uh, the series centers on Hollywood's on the Hollywood pair's attempt to revive the third oldest professional association football team. This is soccer, everybody. I just I'm going to call it soccer for all of us uh, Americans. Anyway, the association soccer team in the world founded in 1864, and how the team has performed. Under the pair's ownership, the pair have no known experience in managing a sports team. The series would also highlight the pair's hopes in improving the team and bringing positive change to the local Wrexham community. And um, I thought it was wild that uh, Rob McElhenney and, and Ryan Reynolds had never met each other before. They met each other and did all of this to start with through an encounter on social media. I was blown away by that, Jake. It's kind of like the roots of pop culture leftovers in a way. Yeah, I agree. That that was crazy how that and it was quite a while before they even actually met in person for the first time. Yeah. Well the same thing with like me and you, we met through social media. So. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I I, I got the connection. That's <laughs> Yeah. Which, I, which one are which one are you? Are you the Ryan Reynolds or are you the that's not, hey, that's not for me to answer. I don't know. <laughs> Paul, what do you think? Who's the Ryan Reynolds? Who's the Rob McElhaney? Oh, gee, come, what the fuck? Why are you going to put me? I, 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 I love them both, so take your leave it. Just like us. Absolutely, 100%. Wow. Fuck, and we're talking about a soccer team in uh, the UK, but Paul went Switzerland with that fucking answer. Absolutely, <laughs> I know, I know. man. I'm going to make some knives <laughs> and cheese. I don't even think either one's an insult either. It's, like, not. it's not. like I was just curious. I was just no, curious. I, I'm just, I don't know why Paul had to be Switzerland. Or like There was no bad answer. Either. I know. No, I, I think they're both the same. I love them both. I don't know. Okay. It's a hard question to ask. All right. Let's talk about our next thing called Neutral Bitch. Oh, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm going to toss the Neutral Bitch. There should, be, there should be an untold episode where Paul fucking actually gives us a goddamn answer. Fine. You're Ryan Reynolds. Jake is Rob McElhenney. There you I'll go. I'll take it. You got it. You got it. Fuck off. Wow, I don't know why you got all so angry there. I went from Jeez. neutral to nuclear. God. It's not it's not a big deal, Paul. I don't know God. why it was all of us. No. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go to sleep now, guys. <laughs> anyway, I you know there's a lot that I don't know about soccer. I haven't watched professional soccer on TV since maybe I was fucking 13 or 14 it's been a long time and i wasn't even that big into it back then i I played soccer i played soccer all through fucking grade school and even a little bit in high school but i was i I never really like was a fan of watching soccer um not because not because i didn't enjoy it it's just because it just like i don't know i didn't know like when to catch the fucking games and like you know it's like i like we watched this documentary and rob McElhenney's like watching a game at like four in the morning here you know it's just like that's just that's just how it i'm just like that's that's crazy to me so anyway um i was just kind of blown away that there are you know and i know they kind of touch on this in ted lasso like all these different kind of like tiers of of soccer as far as like where you can play and then there's like the top is the premier league then you've got your championship league then you've got league one league two and then it goes down into like 
under that the National League. And that's where Wrexham's at. So, like, the contracts in the Premier League, you guys, you guys are getting paid millions of dollars. And then you get to the National League. And, like, some of these guys, the U.S. equivalent of, like, what they're getting paid for per season is, like, $15,000. Yeah. So it's, like, you definitely want to make the playoffs. You definitely want to bump up into the, you know, you want to get into the Championship League or Premier League. You know, best, best, best shot is Premier League is where you're going to be able to make the most money and, like, you know, have the most notoriety as a fucking team. And so now we've got, you know, you know, two of these Hollywood guys, Rob McElhenney from It's Always Sunny and Mythic Quest, and then Ryan Reynolds of Deadpool fame and fucking free guy and everything else this guy's doing. And these guys are, you know, going to be the owners of this team and have to make some really big fucking decisions. And I... I think it's I, I don't know how many episodes it's gonna go, maybe eight. I can't remember, but they dropped the first two episodes on FX and I watched both episodes and this is yet another sports kind of like docu-series that I find super compelling. And you know, like we've talked about a lot of basketball documentaries. And I have, you know, I love, I have a love of basketball. But like I said earlier, like I'm not a soccer guy. That's like something that I don't watch. But it doesn't matter because I absolutely loved these first two episodes. And I'm invested in seeing the changes, hopefully changes for the good in this team. And what the influence of having two owners that actually care, not only just care about the team and making the team better. But I loved how Rob McElhenney was talking about how, you know, uh, changes in the community, like him growing up in Philadelphia and remembering, like, you know, when the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, won a championship, how it meant so much to the people there. He wants to not only, like, build up the team, but also make things better for the people in the community as well. Um, and I kind of love that about, like, you know, when Rob was talking about uh, what he wanted to do with Wrexham. And I mean, it gets down to the point, like, in, in this episode where it's like, if this team doesn't make the playoffs, They've got to make some bold moves here. They can't keep going forward with the same guys that they have because it's not enough for them to make the playoffs. They've got to shake things up. So you've got a coach whose job is on the line if they don't make the playoffs. You've got some older players who they might have to get rid of if they don't make the playoffs. And that means that you're going to go into a huge rebuild. And rebuild means like you're bringing in a lot of new blood into the team and hoping to uh, turn things around, meaning like you're losing a lot of guys. You're going into full rebuild. And that starts with the coach and then goes on to the players. So there's a lot on the line for this team in this first season. And um, another thing that made it interesting is, like, when they bought the team, like, we're going through the pandemic, so they weren't getting ticket sales. Like, you didn't even have a crowd at these games. Um, But I was impressed with, like, how genuine both Rob and Ryan were about how they felt about this team. And, like, you know, Rob waking up at 4 in the morning to watch the game with this kid and, you know, him really getting into the game – it feels like I don't even think that this guy was like a fan of soccer, but like this is his team. He's a fan now, and he's wearing the Wrexham jersey as he's watching it. I'm like, this guy, 
this guy's getting into this, man. So I Tupperware this. I thought it was fantastic. And I can't wait for episode fucking three. Um, yeah. Um, Jake, what'd you think about Welcome to Wrexham? I actually wasn't the biggest fan of this. I'm going to give it a low taste it. Um, I watched both episodes. I went ahead and watched the second episode. I thought maybe, you know, I would like it a bit more now that I saw the premise and the setup. But I don't know. I just found it to be very dry. Like there was a lot of interesting information. But I don't know. I expected it to be just a little bit more with Brian Reynolds and and McElhaney in this. And I I don't know. It just didn't do much for me. I, I probably won't continue watching this um, you know, I, I really like the opening theme song. That was probably my favorite thing about this. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, um, I'm not really invested in soccer. This really didn't do much to make me feel like I should be. I, I love the idea of the show. Uh, just the execution wasn't something that really entertained me very much. Man, I loved it. I thought it was great. I like just getting to like know the different players know the team i was into that also knowing like i don't know man i really got into this and i was getting like like when that game is on the line i'm like like what is the outcome of this game what is going to happen here are they going to go into rebuilding mode i there's something about like like and i've seen this in basketball and other teams where it's like you have you went like you're forced to go into rebuilding mode and like what that can do to a team i'm also curious to see like you know, it is also interesting to hear like what the fans were saying about this kind of stuff. Like they're kind of excited for like the new regime, and then and and then hear them bitching about certain players, like they were bitching about Rutherford. And mm-hmm. I was bitching about Rutherford by the end of this. He's like the older uh, veteran on the team, and I feel like he really fucking let his team down by getting that red card. Like yeah. in no fucking way should you have fucking put yourself out there to get that fucking red card. And maybe the outcome of the game would have been different if you wouldn't have got that fucking red card. Like that, you that was a huge loss to your team. So it's like, I'm sorry, but hit the road, Jack. Like get the fuck out of here. I felt bad for him and his family and his career and all this shit. But on the flip side, it's like that's the kind of shit that they don't fucking need. But I. I'm. I loved it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I could see how people would be very smitten by this. It just. I don't know. It just wasn't my bag. Gotcha. Um, Paul, what'd you think? I absolutely loved this. If it wasn't for Mo, this would have been probably my favorite thing. It is very. I mean, it's so hard not to make comparisons to Ted Lasso, right? Like this is the real Ted Lasso, like an American and Canadian by you know, a soccer team in Wales and it gives us so much backstory. And it was just kind of funny. Like, uh, I'll never forget in season two of Ted Lasso, they made a joke about like how anybody will just buy a soccer team, including Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds. And they kind of went on Twitter and made a big deal. Like you may think it's a joke, but it's not. And at first I'm like, Oh, they're just looking for like publicity. But after watching these two episodes, like, especially with Rob McElhenney, it's like, this is a real passion project for him. Um, you know, like Ryan Reynolds seems to definitely be the money guy in all of this when they're doing that bit, like, Oh yeah, he's got like a gin line. He's, you know, an MCU guy, he's a DCEU guy, like, what else does he do? Um, and being a huge fan of Mythic Quest, to see the character of Paul 
the big guy in the first season of Mythic Quest actually be like one of the like managers of the team is very cool to see the relationship McKellahenny has with his uh, staff. And, you know, like we're going back to McKellahenny's child home and all this. Like, it, like I thought it was so fascinating and we get to meet like, you know, the bar owner of the town that the team is based in where everybody goes to. Like, I just, I, I really enjoyed this. And when uh, this, like, I was so, like, everyone knows I was so into to tell Lasso. So when this news happened, I did follow this team. So I am kind of current on as to where they are now. And I'm not going to give any spoilers away. So, like, I don't know if that, like, it obviously have an effect on my rating because it definitely is a Tupperware. But I... I thought this was a cool, like, I don't even know if it's a soccer documentary. It just seems more of, like, it involves a soccer team. But we're learning more about, like, Rob McElhenney, some of Ryan Reynolds, and a lot more of the people that live in this town of where Wrexham plays. Yeah, you want to like, have some pride in your team. and Yeah, yeah. And just, like, you know, like, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. Like, that's all I know. Like, so I totally get it where like Rob McElhenney is coming you know he's like what the Eagles did for me like when I found out about this team and like it's very similar to Philadelphia like I had to do something and he just seems so invested like he like it does not seem just like you know like a little stupid investment by a celebrity like like you said he's up at 4 a.m watching this game like he's standing on his fucking couch like he's been a fan for all of his life and he's literally owned the team for a couple weeks like it's just i i, I thought it was fantastic it, it's a total tupperware for me i just can't imagine like fucking i, I just love underdog stories and like hopefully seeing this team kind of grow and, and and get better and get out of the fucking national league to me it's like i can't imagine like watching the chicago bulls and then they, you know, have a losing season. Let's say they win, you know, under 20 games. Terrible losing season. And then they're just like, uh, yeah, no draft pick this year. Nothing like that. We're knocking you down to the fucking D-leagues. You know, like, I do want to ask you that question. Like, Ted Lasso brought that into mind with the whole, like, relegation stuff. Do you think that would actually, like, do you think that would make you more invested as a fan? If knowing like these actual losses had an effect like that, hmm. like me watching like my team and then them, yeah, I mean, yes, like it, yeah. it, it's like it's like they've got to win this game or they're getting knocked out of like this league and 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 going into like a, a lesser league. Yeah, like the games would mean that much more, but it would be heartbreaking to see like my team end up in something like the equivalent of like a minor league or a D league. Yeah, because, like, I, I was thinking that during Ted Lasso, like, they always make the joke about, like, the New York Jets, like, well, what happens to teams that just lose every year? Like, oh, it's the New York Jets. They just continue to play. Like, you're okay with that? Like, yeah, it's the New York Jets. Like, I kind of like that. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, as a, as a huge Bucks and Packers fan, I'd be like, no, don't bring that in. But, like, it kind of ups like the stakes for the team to always do better. 
Yeah, but I say no. I say no, man. I, I, know, I, I, I know. I know. I say no too. But like, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, like it's okay on my fictional television and all the way in the UK. Like that's cool. But with don't the, bring it here. With the way that it's kind of set up, like here in the United States, like you lose all those endorsements. You, you. I mean, and you got to understand like most teams in the NBA still have not all of them, but still have like some good players. And, you know, you can't imagine if you got a team that's got one superstar and the rest are scrubs, you know, it's like, I got to watch these fucking D league games to watch, you know, fucking like this superstar, like, fuck that. No, (laughs) no, thank you. And like the thing is about the NBA, it's nice. Like, don't they do that profit sharing type of thing? Like you don't see that in any other league. So yeah. that's why we see all these different teams kind of winning every year post bowls, of course. But, um, you know, I don't know. Like, it, like, it's a fascinating subject to watch from afar. Yeah. Like, oh, don't yeah. bring that to my Bucks or, or Packers, but yeah. I'm okay seeing it happen in, like, Wales. Like, that's cool. <laughs> sure. <laughs> keep that shit over there keep that uh, shit over there yeah f- f- fucking nana prack and deal with that shit yeah <laughs> joe what'd you think about welcome to Wrexham? i thought it was really exciting it was uh i was looking forward to watching this everything i know about soccer i pretty much learned from ted lasso it's, it's so it's not something that i know a lot about but as soon as they started talking about promotion and relegation i was like i know that shit <laughs> And uh, just seeing the way that this is has started and it's a lot of times when you watch these sports documentaries, they're they're doing something about something that's already happened. And so they already know the story that's there and 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 they have that baked into how they do the documentary. And, And I think that that's what I find so exciting about watching sports documentaries versus actually watching sports is that for me, it's it's a story that I'm watching. And so with this, it's a story but it's also it's not set in stone yet. We don't know where it's going. And so I, I find it pretty exciting and and having it be that it's these two American, well, you know, American slash Canadian actors that have bought this team and they're, they're kind of stepping into a world that they're not entirely familiar with. And, and I really liked the reasoning that Rob McElhaney laid out that yeah, I'm doing this for, you know, for town pride. It's not to just turn a profit. And and I thought that that was a really beautiful thing to do. And, you know, not being invested in sports or anything like that, th- this surprisingly hooked me. And, and I can't wait to keep watching episodes. And, and, like, there's a tiny little part of my brain now that's like, I'm a little bit of a Wrexham fan just because I want to see – I want to see these guys succeed. Right. I want to see the town succeed. Like, I'm, I I feel like, strangely, I have a little stake in it. Now, there's a little part of my brain even that was like – Hey, why'd you get a soccer jersey? It's like, yeah, you can walk around and be a fat guy with a soccer jersey, Joe. That's that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> People ask you questions, and you can say uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney, and then they can really hate your guts. <laughs> <laughs> and that's usually how it goes for me with it when I wear sports. When I, anything with sports team, you're just inviting conversation with a stranger. And if you're not a diehard fan, it's going to be a a conversation with the strangers very disappointed in you, but <laughs> you can just wear you can wear Gotham Knights jersey and Smallville Crows jerseys and get away with it, Joe. There you go. Oh, I know. Well, <laughs> my father-in-law used to work at Adidas, and so he like if they cut a little too deeply opening a package and they put like a little nick in a shirt, they'd just toss it out. 
Well, Mark started bringing all these shirts to me and giving them to me because at the time I had a job that would just destroy clothes. And but they were all sports clothes. And so, like, I'd just be in line waiting to get a sandwich and someone would be like, oh, what'd you think of so and so getting traded? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you why are you asking me about this? And they're like, the team. And I'm like, oh, that's just a shirt. And then they'd just look at me like, Ugh. <laughs> just totally disgusted. <laughs> you fucking poser. Exactly. <laughs> why are you wearing that fucking shirt then? It's like, because because it's just a shirt man but um anyway back on track <laughs> i would be that guy if you wore a fucking bulls jersey and i and I've, I've had encounters like this where it's like i'm like oh man they're having a they're having a bad year this year they're having a good year this year and i talk to that fucking guy wearing the bulls hat or the and they know nothing about it and i, I just leave that conversation like what the you give me that fucking shirt right now. <laughs> Just slap that Take that fucking hat off and give it to me, motherfucker. You don't deserve to wear that fucking hat or that fucking shirt. I, Joe, if that happened with me and you and I didn't know you, you'd be walking away without a shirt. Oh, you hated me in like 2000. I had a, a fitted Tar Heels hat that I wore everywhere just because I thought it was a cool logo. Knew nothing about the history of the team. And then one day this guy's like talking to me about all this shit. And I'm just smiling and nodding along with him like, oh, man, it's rough. Yeah, they kicked the shit out of us last night, didn't they? And I walk away. I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but that guy was like seven feet tall and he could have balled me up and stuffed me into a trash can and taken my hat. Yeah. So, <laughs> what did you rate this? It was a Tupperware for me. Like, I... It's wild when these sports things come in and they hook me because I'm so not a sports guy, but I'm here for the story and the story that they're laying out in this and the fact that it's – I can't just get on Google and be like, well, how did it go? I mean kind of piggybacking off what Paul said, he's kind of kept up with them, so he knows a little bit more, but it's it's still – it's not a done deal yet. And for me, that makes it pretty exciting. And, yeah. And so – I'm a fan. I'm going to be on board watching this now. Me too. I, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching this. And it's it's like I was thinking to myself, like, maybe I should fucking watch this team. Like, where can I where can <laughs> I watch this in the team? Morning? <laughs> yeah, well, I'd fucking I'd watch the replay, Joe. I'm not. <laughs> not you be up at the ass crack of dawn with your Wrexham jersey yeah. hat on going, yeah. fuck you, Stark. I'm a real fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, man, I know this motherfucker out there wearing Tar Heel fucking shit. <laughs> Doesn't know anything about him. Anyway, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So that is Welcome to Wrexham. It's on FX and Hulu. So check that one out. Um, let's let's talk about uh, Samaritan on uh, Prime Video. Uh, 13-year-old Sam Cleary, played by uh, Javon Walton. Uh, most recently he's been, he's like, he's been in euphoria and then he's also been in the, uh, the last season of the umbrella Academy, this young kid, uh, 13 year old Sam Cleary suspects that his mysterious and reclusive neighbor, Mr. Smith played by Sylvester Stallone is actually a legend hiding in plain sight. 25 years ago, Granite City's super powered vigilante Samaritan was reported dead after a fiery warehouse battle with his rival nemesis. Most believe Samaritan perished in the fire, but, in, but some in the city, like Sam, have hoped that he is still alive. With crime on the rise and the city on the brink of chaos, Sam makes it his mission to coax his neighbor out of hiding to save the city from ruin. 
Uh, it's directed by Julius Avery from a screenplay by uh, Braggy F. Shoot. Uh, the film also stars Polo Asbaic, Dasha Polanco, and Moises Arias. And um, started watching this. And I think, like, at the beginning, I was just like, man, what a cool fucking concept. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like, it, like, like superheroes, supervillains, 25 years later, their story plays out. And they go into their origin story about how these were twins that grew up together that were you know, abnormally strong. And, and uh, it's like, and, and then their parents die in this fire, in this tragic death. And it's like, it's like, what if you took like a Batman type like origin, but you did it with twins and one of the kids ends up fucking becoming like a Batman slash hero and the other one becomes like a villain. And I was like, what a cool fucking concept. And that's about where the coolness fucking ended with this movie for me <laughs> was with that concept because I didn't like this very much. Uh, at the end, um, I just I think they it focused on on a lot of shit that I just I don't know, man. I I don't even know how to describe some of the shit. It's like the movie fucking meandered on certain bullshit that I didn't fucking care about. And I think like uh, there was one cool action scene where fucking Sylvester Stallone helps the kid when he's getting bullied and beats the shit out of some bullies. I was like, that's a cool action scene. There's a cool scene where he fucking, you know, saves somebody's life by flipping over a car and using it as a shield. But overall, I I fucking hated this movie. Um, hate maybe hates the story. I'm because I'm gonna give it a low taste. It a very low taste. It great. I think great fucking concept. I just think the execution was shit. So I'm gonna give it the lowest of taste. It's uh, for Samaritan. And, um, yeah, that's where I'm at, man. I, this was not for me, dude. I, and I thought it was going to be for me because I fucking love Stallone and I love the concept of this movie. What a, what an interesting concept. I mean, I think if you put this in the hands of a capable comic book writer, you've got yourself a great fucking miniseries. And, man, cinematically, this just did not work. So, whew. Joe, what did you think about Samaritan? Dude, I'm right there with you. I went into this really excited after reading the synopsis, watching the trailer. I was like, this feels this feels like a 90s action movie. This feels like a a 90s like comic book-esque movie that we would have gotten back then and been so excited for that sort of content. But then as soon as you got into this, it was like, oh, they squandered it. You know, they they had good actors in this. I I felt like the 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 portrayals that the actors did were pretty good. It's hard to get a kid actor that's going to do a good job. And I felt like he did a good job. Of course, uh, his portrayal of Ash and euphoria was so good. And, and I felt like he did really good in this also, but ultimately this movie was fucking boring. Like how do you make a movie that has such an exciting concept and just totally whiff it? It was the, the script needed to be punched up a lot and they, they needed to like when you said that it meanders a lot, that, that is a, perfect description of what this does because it's like it'll be exciting for a moment and then it's back to the uh just just yeah. so so dull and yeah it w when i was done with this movie i was almost like upset <laughs> upset with it that, that i was so excited going into it and so let down by the time the credits started that you know i i have no idea if there was any sort of 
mid credit or post credit scenes because I couldn't shut this thing off fast enough. I looked, it, there wasn't. The I, hit. I just fast forward it to see if there's anything past it. And there wasn't, man. So yeah, I don't even worry yeah. about that. It, it's it's a low taste it for me as well. I can't I can't toss it because I did like some of the performances. I thought Sylvester Stallone was pretty good. I love seeing the fact that as old as he is, he can still do the action stuff. I felt like it was pretty good. Uh, the the perform I love the bad guy in this, and I thought they did a good job making him look sinister too with with his with the the snake tattoo on the side of his head. They they, and, they were like, "What do you want to look like?" He was like, "I want to look like Kiefer Sutherland and Stand by Me." Yes, <laughs> when he first came up, I was like, "Hey, it's the new generation's Kiefer Sutherland." Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, but yeah, for me, it was it was a low taste. I felt like this movie could have been so much better. Fuck with, yeah. with a little bit more work done on the script. You give a guy like I mean, I'm telling like you give this. I, I'm I'm going to throw out two directors. You give it to Lee Winnell, who did Upload. I'm I'm telling you, he's going to give you a great movie. You give it to Dan Trachtenberg, he's going to give you a great movie. Man, this this Julius Avery, I don't know, dude. This was man, this was squandered. You squandered a great child actor, in my opinion. You you took one of the most legendary fucking action stars of of my lifetime and squandered it. And you squandered this concept, man. This is a wreck. This is a fucking wreck, man. Paul, what'd you think about Samaritan? I fucking hated this so much. <laughs> I, I man, I, like I, I didn't even know this was a movie until it was on the homework. And when I was talking to Jake last, I'm like, oh, I watched it this morning, and I, I mean, I love Euphoria has become one of my favorite shows. I love Ash. And all of that, and man, dude, I don't. Oh, I hate this is an absolute toss. It, I, I, I do agree that the store, like the concept, is cool, but man, dude, like you're on Greyjoy or whatever his name is. I, I hated him as the bad guy. I did not like Stallone. I love him from my youth, but I hated him in this. I hated the action. I hated the cheesy acting and all of this i just i will i refuse to rewatch this again this was i fucking hated this so much i will yeah no no toss it all the way (laughs) (laughs) i feel like jake will echo this jake yeah um i did not have a blast while watching this movie i'll tell you that much um i'm gonna go ahead and give it a low taste it though um i feel like eight-year-old jake would have really liked this movie a lot it was like it had just enough violence in it that it would have seemed like the coolest fucking thing ever when i was eight years old but not being eight it woof this was this was pretty bad i hate when movies um tell instead of show and the massive info dump at the beginning of this movie i was just glazed over by the end of it i it's just like, oh, my fucking God, can't we just see this cool? Like you brought up Trachtenberg and like there's no way he would have just info dumped like this at the beginning of the movie. Like all these plot points would have been revealed in cool ways as we progress through the movie instead of just spelling all this shit out in the fucking five minute animated info dump bullshit they did. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a low taste it though because I thought the um, the child actor was really 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 good one one of the best I've seen in a long time like he wasn't too cute but he wasn't like too criminal either I, I thought 
he played the part just perfectly. Um, but yeah, there was nothing that could be done to save or make this a very exciting movie. I, much like Joe, I, I did not check to see if there was a post credit sequence. I hit stop immediately on this motherfucker. I felt like the, the, the other thing that I thought was stupid as fuck in this was the hammer that he poured all his hate into. Like, how the fuck? Oh why are you going all Lord of the Rings with this shit? Like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, this hammer clearly had some sort of like mystical kind of power to it and it's like how did that even happen that is dumb because it's like glowing and and he poured all his hate into it blah 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 do you guys think do you guys think that the, the intro with like the voiceover at the beginning of house of dragons was very lord of the rings ish yes mm-hmm. uh-huh. i just wanted because yeah. i forgot about talking about that it felt very lord of the rings just anyway back to back <laughs> to the this parts that i thought was really unintentionally funny in this movie is yeah. like they're in this fucking burning ass fire for so goddamn long. I understand why. So fucking unsafe. And they are literally just standing there. Yes. Not even dialogue is fucking happening. And then the second they decide they have to leave, that's when it gets dangerous. Like this motherfucker looks dangerous from the jump. Well, I can Apparently understand. we can just sit Indian style on the floor for 10 fucking minutes while this place is <laughs> that kid would have been all around him. You can't breathe. You can't breathe that fucking there's no air to breathe. I mean, it's burning up all the air. Your lungs are getting full of smoke and fucking heat. And it's like, I can understand, like, he's a super, you know, like, he's a super powered individual. I can understand why he's able to survive. But the for kid, sure, sure. The, the kid would have been dead. I could not suspend my disbelief for that entire segment. I was like, this is the stupidest fucking thing. Also, like, the fire looks so fucking backdrop fake and shit. Like, ugh. I can forgive that fucking shit if the story's good. I agree. I agree. But once I'm bored, I'm nitpicking. And I yeah. could not help but nitpick the shit out of that scene. Mm-hmm. The second it's like, okay, it's time to go, then boards start falling all over the place. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> this place should be down by now. <laughs> it burns forever. Oh, my God. Well, and with it showing all the flames in between the cracks of the wood floor, it's... It was a cool looking effect, but I was I was in that same boat where I was like, well, why aren't they just falling through this floor? Clearly, it's on fire. <laughs> Clearly. God. Yeah. Samaritan, guys, it's not a recommend. So, yeah, save your time. <sighs> Let's talk about Mike on Hulu uh, from creator screenwriter Steven Rogers. Do you think he's changed it to Steven? Do you think he was Steve for a long time and then Captain America comes out and he's like, I'm Steven now. <laughs> i don't know maybe embrace the steve if, if captain america comes out or you're trying to differentiate yourself I trying guess. to differentiate yourself yeah steven okay. not saying it's a bad name i'm just saying like steve rogers is kind of like everybody you know i knew yeah i knew a kid growing up and his name was uh uh Michael Jordan, and he, I think he went by Mike later to differentiate himself. Yeah, people were confused. They're like, are you the real Jordan? Yes, Jake. They thought that this fucking <laughs> eight-year-old white kid was fucking Michael Jordan. I want to be like Mike. <laughs> well, I only have half of an MCU character's name, and it's real. I hear it all the time <laughs> oh i bet yeah but it's better yeah. than when i was in elementary school and it was stark naked so i will take tony stark or winter is coming or whatever they want to throw at me over that it just reminds me of office space with michael bolton 
<laughs> it was my name first. I was Michael Bolton before him. Um, from screen uh, from creator screenwriter Steven Rogers and the team behind Itanya and showrunner Corinne Gist, executive producer of Our Kind of People, Mike explores the dynamic and controversial story of Mike Tyson. The eight-episode limited series explores the tumultuous ups and downs of Tyson's boxing career and per- personal life from behind a beloved global athlete to a pariah and back again focusing the lens on mike tyson the series examines class in america race in america fame and the power of media misogyny the wealth divide the promise of the american dream and ultimately our own role in shaping mike's story mike is an unauthorized no holds barred look at the life of mike tyson and it is one wild ride so yes uh yeah it's unauthorized i know mike tyson has gone on the record he's totally against this um I, you know, I, I as far as I know, they're still making that. I don't know. They're still supposedly still making that Jamie Fox story that is that Mike Tyson has you know given his endorsement to, and he's been working with Jamie Fox. I don't know if that's gonna fucking still happen. I haven't heard anything come out of that in a while. But anyway, um, yeah, let's talk about Mike. Um, I'll start, Jake. I'll start with you on this one. I actually really like this a lot. I'm going to give it a very high taste it. Um, I, I mean, I'm very familiar with Mike Tyson. And like, I remember watching a lot of those matches when I was young, but I, I really wasn't familiar with his backstory and his childhood and you've, his you've, upbringing. You've never um, watched the one man show. I, I was, that was the next thing I was going to say. I've never seen the one man show. And when I finished these two episodes, the first thing I did was check where that was available and you, you can watch it on HBO max. Yeah. I, I plan on checking that out. I think it was soon. directed by Spike Lee. Yes, it, it was directed by Spike Lee. Uh, Cause I was very curious. I'm like, is this actually, I didn't know what was fictitious and what was real. And so another thing I did after watching this is like, look up the article, like the what's real and what's made up in the new Hulu drama. Cause, and I was surprised to find out that most of it was very real. Like I would have guessed like the bird thing that got him into like fighting in the first place was just made up. No, very, very real. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I I thought this was really cool. I, I, um, it showed a really interesting side of Mike Tyson that I was, I was surprised to see. Like I, I, I knew nothing of his childhood and it, wow. It made me very compassionate towards Mike Tyson in a way that I've honestly never been my entire life. I'm telling so you, I, I can't wait to watch the rest of this. I'm telling you, man, the fucking, you don't get a better Mike Tyson in my opinion than Trevante Rhodes, like the look, the acting. And I'm telling you, like, Casting Harvey Keitel as Cuz Diamato, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. And I think the third person stuff really worked for me too. There was a lot of gags that I thought were really well executed because of it. When when you see him punch fucking Don King, I like gasped. And then he, you know, he's like, "Oh, that's what I should have done." Yeah. <laughs> I that was just a hilarious moment because I mean, I do know what comes of their relationship. Um, I was yeah, mad. I, thought- I was mad when he got out of prison. He was like, "No, I'm not going to work with him. I'm not going to work." And then he fucking started working with him again. Oh my gosh, it's like Stockholm syndrome. I know. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to see the rest of this. I, I thought these two episodes were were such easy watches. I was just so highly entertained the entire time. Um, 
yeah, I love the interview with Joan Rivers segment. I thought that was wild. That was also very real. I, I, I wouldn't have guessed that, honestly. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see the Spike Lee thing on HBO Max. I don't know if I should. I almost want to wait until watching these eight episodes before watching the uh, the Spike Lee thing, because I almost don't want spoilers. Yeah, I've seen. I mean, I've listened to him on a ton of interviews, podcasts, and I've watched the one man show. And um, I think for me, it's actually helping because, like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, yes, this happened. This happened. I knew the pigeon story happened. Like, that's how he got into his first fucking fight, you know. And I. <laughs> uh, Dude, when they said he was 14, I was like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, this was great. Yeah. Um, Joe, what did you think of Mike? I went into this with a little bit of hesitation because I'd, I'd read the articles that, that Mike Tyson wasn't happy with this. But to, right away, I, I I got sucked into it. I, I thought it was really, really riveting. And for me, this is this is a Tupperware. I watched both the first episodes. I have not seen the one-man show yet, but now knowing that it's on HBO Max, I will be jumping into that. I had no idea that about his early life. I, I didn't know how much abuse and trauma he went through. And this really did give me a lot of empathy for Mike Tyson. And, oh, man, the uh, we, you said earlier with Harvey Keitel being cast as... as um, uh, Cuz Diamato. Yes. Like, like, I paused it and, like, double like kind of like did a double check on the screen. I'm like, that really is Harvey Keitel. Holy shit. And like, just totally knocked it out. And, and the connection that, the, the, that those two actors had, like, it was so believable that, that a young Mike Tyson was just this totally broken person that just needed somebody to believe in him and, and love him. And man, it, when, when cuz adopted him, like it, it, brought tears to my eyes i was like oh this is really what he needs and then every time seen him go back to brownsville and then get wrapped up in other shit again it was like dude just stop going back to this place i understand that this is where your family and friends are but this is where this is where all your trauma is from you know nothing good is going to happen going back here even when he goes back and shows that gold medal to his mom his mom's still just a piece of shit to him about it and it was it was so heartbreaking and but at the same time, a very exciting watch. And, and I, I loved stylistically how they did it with all the fourth wall breaks and everything. Uh, this, this was one of my favorite things that we watched this week and, and I'll be, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to see the next episodes and see how it's going to go. Um, Jake, I, I totally know what you mean about maybe wanting to hold off on the one man show just so you don't get anything spoiled on this, but I, I don't know if I'm going to have the strength to do that. I, <laughs> I think I'll be watching the one man show sometime this week. I don't think it'll spoil any. I, it'll, I mean, you'll know what happens in the series, but I don't think it's going to. I think it'll enhance your experience, Joe. I don't think it'll detract from it, honestly. Yeah. And, and like even as like a not like a huge boxing fan or anything growing up, like if if you grew up in, in the 80s, like, you know who Mike Tyson is, <laughs> you know, you know about Iron Mike, you know, a lot of the hits in his life. So so I don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll be too spoilery watching it. I was a huge fan of Mike Tyson. I mean, he was just like his matches. They were an event. I remember just watching them on, on TV and, 
you know, I remember I used to cut out articles after most of his fights and I had a toy box and I would, I was just big into like larger than life heroes. Like I was into Hulk Hogan and I was into like, you know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone and, and Iron Mike was up there for me. And I, uh, when I'd lift up the lid of my toy box, I had like, you know, cutouts of like all my heroes and shit like that, you know, and posters of fucking Mr. T and fucking Mike Tyson and Schwarzenegger and Stallone and, you know, <laughs> Optimus Prime because I loved him. But um, I'd have them under the lid of my toy box. And, you know, that was like that was like my wall of like people that I, that I thought were just fucking awesome, larger than life human beings. And and um, so I was a big fan of Mike Tyson growing up. But um I forgot. I had a point that I was going to make, and I forgot what I was going to make. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'll think of it here in a second. Paul, what did you think? Yeah, the only thing I really knew about, like, I mean, I knew he was a great boxer. The only thing I really actually knew was the ear bite, which was a fantastic way to start the show. Um, I, I, I know nothing about him, and it, like, it's funny. At first, it kind of gave me like reading the articles about like Mike Tyson's isn't for this. I'm like, Oh, this is going to kind of be like, you know, the winning time show. But like the fact that Hulu went through so many chances to say, this is so like, you know, like it's based on a real person, but some things have been dramatized. That's like at the beginning and the very end, I'm like, there's gotta be a lot of truth to this. And man, I, I had quite the experience with this show. Um, as a teacher, I've worked in a lot of neighborhoods where like a young Mike Tyson has grown up in and it kind of hit really close to home of trying to figure out what makes these young kids tick. Um, and it really got me thinking of like, you know, like falling through the cracks and all that shit. But man, I, I thought the guy that plays him, I, I I did not go and watch the one-man show, but I watched some highlights. Specifically, I looked up Mike Tyson laughing during his one-man show where he puts his hands on his face. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is fucking nailing everything about this. I was so fascinated where <laughs> it's like – I like I didn't get to the point where Joe where he paused it, but I'm like, man, dude, this guy that's playing Cuz looks a lot like Harvey Keitel. And then like when the credits came up at the end of the first episode, I'm like, oh shit, that was Harvey Keitel. Like this is fantastic. <laughs> like that was him. Got it. I I am so intrigued. Um, I am really excited to see like the Robin Givens stuff. Maybe not excited because I just know how brutal that interview was and that relationship was. The like, no pun intended. The show does not seem to hold its punches on uh, the main character of the story. Um, I think it's fantastic to to really shed a light on you know like these high poverty families and what can come of it. Um, but I I really enjoyed this. This is the highest of Tupperwares. I I think this is great. And if this dude doesn't get any recognition for portraying Mike Tyson for any awards, it's going to be a damn shame. He was uh, Trevante Rhodes uh, was uh, in Moonlight. 
and he was fantastic in Moonlight. And I mean, I don't think you can cast a better fucking Mike Tyson than Trevante Rhodes. I really. Oh, don't. if I'm Jamie Foxx, I'm like, oh shit, dude. Yeah, like I got big shoes to fill. Like this is, this was insane. And I do like, like. It's not fair to say unreliable narrator, but like they really jump a lot in times. Like there's one point we're see like we're seeing a fight in his career where he's like thirteen and zero, and then we're bouncing back to like the Olympics. Yeah, like I like that it's keeping us kind of on our toes as a viewer. Like oh shit, like we're now in a different timeline again. Like I, I really did enjoy this. This was fantastic. I didn't really understand what happened at the Olympics. The, the judge ruled the other guy the winner. Yeah, I mean, it's basically at the end of it, um, it's a it's it's points, right? Okay, I was just confused that he wouldn't knock the guy out. <laughs> it went like it went all the rounds. Yeah, it sounds like it went all the rounds. Yeah, it wow. sounds like he lost by decision. Yeah. Okay. So they yeah. they add they had the judges add up their points and. It sounds like maybe they were a little bit biased there. Which was a great scene because Mike got the opposite reaction he thought he was going to get from Cuz in the car. I I really enjoyed that dynamic mm-hmm. and that conversation. Yeah. yeah, that was a great scene. Yeah, I'm going to high taste it on this. Um, I'm going to continue. I'm, I'm going to continue to watch. It is. Uh, it's very compelling, and uh, I. I'm not I think it's smart but then on the flip side it's like I I kind of uh incorporating the one man show I'm not that's why I'm giving it the the high taste it I'm not I, hopefully it'll work for me further in the series I just don't know if incorporating the one man show is working for me quite yet That's my only kind of hang up right now with it is what is would it make more sense if this was like an HBO Max show, knowing that that one man show was on HBO Max and they're kind of like in conjunction? Not really. It's just the okay. fact that it's uh, it's like they want to have Trevante Rhodes be a part of this entire series down to the point where they're incorporating the one man. It's like I've seen the one man show. I know how that goes. And you've just got a guy who's basically – copycatting the one-man show and using the one-man show to tell this story in pictures and moving pictures and i'm just like i maybe just give me like the traditional like doc like uh drama series i don't know if you need to incorporate the actual one-man show into this it's like i've seen the one-man show i don't need to see Trevante Rhodes act like he's mike tyson in the one-man show i don't know if that's impressing me or if it's detracting from my experience because i feel like the flashbacks in his life is enough it just Mm -hmm. felt like they used the one-man show to keep trevante Rhodes at the center of this throughout the entire series if that makes any sense i think that's a valid criticism and maybe they would have been better off going like the fred savage wonder years route where he's just narrating the stuff and we're not actually yeah because it it is weird to just recreate something that already exists yes when I Googled to see where I could watch the one-man show, I was surprised to see that it was the exact same clothes and everything that he was wearing. And it's like it is a weird stylistic choice to just recreate 
him telling the story when the whole show is telling us the story. Because there's nothing like it's almost like you've got Trevante Rhodes just acting out. The, it's weird just to see him act out the one man show. I I can't get over that, and maybe it'll I'll it'll that'll I'll warm up to that as the series goes on. I just don't know if it was like the best choice to tell this story. I yeah, it leads me to believe that that's where the story is going to end too. Yes. Like we're not going to see anything past the one man show that Tyson's yeah. been involved with. Right, I agree. I agree. Um. I think it makes it work with the fourth wall breaks really well, though, because then it's like when the fourth wall break happens, it's like, oh, yeah, this is all going back to him doing the one man story on the stage. And and he's telling these stories. And so it's just giving us these dramatizations of the stories. And so I feel like the fourth wall breaks that he does during those stories ties right back into the with the one man show. See, but I've seen the one man show. That's where I think that's why it's weird. I'm in a different place because I've not seen the one man. Yes. That's what makes it weird for me. Um, real quick, that uh, I don't know much about. I, actually, I don't know anything about Mike Tyson's sister. I don't know what happened to her, but I do know about his brother Rodney, who they bring up in here, and you get to see a little bit of him. Um, his brother actually grew up to be a surgeon. Yeah, they say that in the show. Oh, did that they? A, yeah, yeah, that was a great line when he's like, "Oh, like Rodney, like yeah. oh, he's in the science and be a mad scientist." And he's like, "Yeah, he became a surgeon." And you're like, they, oh fuck! They really don't talk anymore. Like they, like they, they barely talk. And, and Rodney doesn't talk about him very much. He's, I mean, it's it's a weird relationship that those two have. They just don't they just don't really connect. And and it's it's wild. They they both come from the same upbringing it's just they're about five years apart in age and um yeah that's just that's just a weird weird family relationship that those two have so well the adults in in mike tyson's life let him down i mean it's it's really amazing that that cuz took him in and taught him all that stuff but he didn't he didn't fully take on the role of a father for him he was still just a boxing coach and and i feel like that's a, a lot of Mike Tyson's downfall is that he was he was very let down by all the adults around him, that it was their fucking job to teach him how to be a member of society, to teach him how to be a human being. And they just didn't. Yeah, his mom kind of washes her her hands with them. And yeah, I thought the show did a good job. Like you said, like he didn't know anything about women because Cuz wasn't like as much of a father figure as he was. It was just the boxing. So he was completely alienated when it came to like, you know, his game and picking up women and relationships and all of that. So, yeah, very fascinating. Yeah. Oh my god, the scene where he like is just fascinated by the roses. Yes, dude, that's in my notes. Yes. Oh my god, I was like tearing up and one thing that really stuck out with me is I'll never forget there was a kid I was going to suspend, an older kid, and the mom came in and just like is like, "You guys have a bathroom here." I'm like, "Yeah," and her and the kid went to the bathroom and like he came back just teary eyed, and you know shit went down. I'm like, "Okay, yeah, he's not suspended," and that kind of gave me like a flashback to the scene where the mom beats the shit out of him in front of the cops. They're like, yeah, we're not going to press charges. Like we're good. We're fucking good here. Like he already got like probably the worst punishment, but that Rose scene, just like Mm -hmm. 
And just him in the car smelling the roses and his smile, it just endeared me so much to this kid. Yeah, here's the thing. Uh, Just to set this up for people, if you haven't seen it, it, Mike Tyson had never seen roses in real life. Like, he'd seen them on TV, but he'd never seen them. And you look at, like, people that have, like, these damaged pasts and, and... they all started off. I think like most people start off as just very yeah, when when you're a kid and you start out life, I think most kids are inherently sweet and good. I, I would say most. I, I haven't been exposed to all children. I'm sure some kids might be little fucking hellions right out of the gate, but I think a lot of it is it's like the nature versus nurture thing. And I feel like a lot of this was with Mike Tyson's problems, I think a lot of it was the nurturing here. Cause I think inherently he wanted to be a sweet boy, a sweet, a sweet man too. And it's just hundred percent the environment that he was raised in just kind of turned him into like, even cause wanted to turn him into a boxing monster. So yeah. yeah. Kids need support and love and, and stability and, Mike Tyson didn't have any of that growing up. That's why Paul, what you're doing is fucking amazing with the no. way you treat i'm and i'm not i'm being honest here like the way you treat the the kids in your, in your classroom is absolutely amazing because i've had some shit teachers man i remember growing up it's like teachers there are teachers that are just like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna introduce the six-year-old to sarcasm it's like what the fuck what is wrong with you? i remember being 10 years old and having a teacher slam me into the lockers and me not telling my so parents sorry that happened. I'm well, so sorry I mean that's that just you. I've had you know I've had I've had teachers throw shit at me. I've had teachers fucking um, and I've, I've yeah I've had some fucking some terrible run-ins with teachers. And did I tell my parents? No, I never told my parents because it's like I thought that my parents would and I I pretty much justified it. I think even if I would have told them they wouldn't have done shit and probably would have thought that I was in the wrong. Would have sided with the teachers. They would have sided with the teachers. But I know some kids that I grew up with where teachers fucking acted out like that and the parents went to school and raised hell on them. Like, you know. And that's good. We we fucking need to. I don't know. I mean, I... I appreciate the compliment. Thank you. No, you're you're doing the Lord's work, man. You're fucking doing an amazing job. And you're a great teacher. We need more people. We need more teachers like you, dude, that fucking care. And when you get them for however many hours you get them in the day, we know that My, we can trust you, and that you're gonna they're gonna they're gonna leave, and and they're gonna know that Mister Hart fucking is a, is a good man. So. My mentality, like I like I don't mind. My mentality on that is. I just remember as a kid at this age, my biggest concern was like if the Ninja Turtles were gonna beat Shredder. And then I look at it now, it's like, shit, dude, these kids' biggest concern is like, are they going to eat tonight? Yeah. I can't control that shit, right? But I can I can control if they get to be a kid in my classroom. And for the eight hours I have, I can guarantee you they're going to learn, but we're going to have a fun fucking time doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's ruffled some feathers where like it's supposed to just be pure instruction and I've had to leave those schools. It's like, no, dude, like you hired me to teach the whole kid. 
not just the brain part, but like the whole social emotional. And these kids are going to, for eight hours at a day in my classroom, they're going to feel safe. They're going to feel like they can have fun. And that was one of the parts that just made me so sad about this Mike Tyson show. You've almost got me ready to stand on my chair right now and say, Captain, my captain. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, I mean, you know, like, it's like what Steve Jobs said, like, if you love what you do, it'll never be a day of work. And for the longest time, I haven't felt like it's been a day of work. Yeah, man. I just get to be a big, dumb clown making kids laugh. And, you know, it's a great time. So I appreciate it. I appre- I'm trying to take compliments. I appreciate your compliment. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, you're you're an escape for a little bit of time from, I'm sure, what is not an easy life for some of these kids that you're working with, Paul. So you're an escape for them, and you should take that. And, I mean, we're all flawed, dude. We, I mean, I have flaws. You have flaws. We know Jake has many, many flaws, many, many, <laughs> many, 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 many flaws, uh, countless flaws with Jake. And Joe's got a few. You know, I mean, it's I'm kidding, Jake. <laughs> we're all, it's OK. We're all flawed. But you <laughs> see, the thing is, Paul, you're not you're not taking those flaws that you have to the classroom. You're you're you're, you're providing an escape for these kids and you're providing some care. And dude. You're you're the kind of teacher that I wish I would have had when I was a kid instead of fucking Mrs. Cooper, that cunt who fucking slammed me into a fucking locker and gave me a bruise on my back. I remember I when I went to the when I went to the boys' home when I was fourteen and fifteen. I remember there was a kid that came there. His name was Brandon, and this was back when you could. In certain states, you could still perform corporal punishment on kids, and 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 yeah. which is still around. You have to get parents' permission. Not in Wisconsin, thank God, but that still exists. Well, I they they would they would take a if you got in trouble, they would bend you over a fucking metal chair and take a huge wood paddle and and have like a fucking two hundred fifty three hundred pound man fucking hit you with the. With it, and I remember Brandon. Me and him came in at the same time. Brandon got hit so hard that he had some bruises. And when I got out, I got a call from somebody. I, I don't know what where they were calling from, but they were they asked me some questions and they asked me about Brandon's bruises and if he had them. And I was so scared that I would get sent back there. And if I fucking told him that they that he did have bruises, that they would take it out on me when I got back. So I lied. I lied. And I said, no, he didn't. And it was because I was dude, I was fucking 15 years old and I was scared. I still had three years where my parents could still send me back to this fucking place. And I was scared to death to go back there and then to know that I fucking told on them and them to just take it out on my ass for the next fucking three years. So I lied. And I still feel bad about it to this day. Um, yeah, but you can't. I mean, I don't know. And I know this is. I hope it doesn't sound superficial. On behalf of the quote unquote good ones, I do apologize that happened to you. There's still pieces of shit out there, but there's, you know, there's a core of us that want to make education awesome for kids and. 
like I just want to get this out of the way. I need to thank uh, the army. I need to thank uh, the PCL Twitter page. Um, I never go on Twitter, right? I just like I'm at a brand new school. I really want to go all out. I got a new job title where my big thing has always been I'm big into like getting kids to understand their feelings. Well, I got hired at this new school to teach reading. So I've really tried to up my game and incorporate that. And I'm like, I need to go all out on a theme. And I went with the Thor theme and I never go on fucking Twitter, but I, I went all out on Thor and uh, I made my whole classroom Thor and I shared it and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I, maybe I'll get two likes and then PCL shares it. And I didn't log in for a couple of days. And then I log in <laughs> fucking Friday night to like 49,000 notifications. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, Chris Hemsworth retweeted the video I made. And I know that is a huge part of PCL retweeting the original post. Cause we went from like eight views to then all of a sudden, 50,000 and my principal came in my room. He's like, dude, did you see what happened? I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. He's like, there's people asking for a wish list. And uh, he's like, make one. And uh, no one knows this. I, I, I made a wish list. And the entire thing was fulfilled by Chris Hemsworth. Um, oh, wow. I need to thank. There's so many people in the army that have retweeted that post that have retweeted all of it. And I need to thank all of you that did that, that liked it, that commented the Steve Redgate, like the Steve Redgraves, uh, the Bryans, the Jakes, you know, the Joes, like everyone that took a time to just hit that retweet button because I got over $3,000 worth of stuff for my kids to help them get where they need to be. Wow. And wow. I don't think I would be here. God damn it. I don't think like this podcast has not only helped me as a person, but you guys have helped 52 little kids that just love coming to school. And I can't like, it's cool to be retweeted. Like it's cool to be retweeted by Thor. Like, honest to God, I'm not going to lie. That's a very cool feeling. Like the first person I texted, I'm like, what the fuck? I was fucking, I was floored, dude. I was like, that is so cool for you, man. That is dude, so cool. I, and like, but it's so cool for the kids and they, they definitely benefited from it. So everybody that listens to pod, like to this podcast that liked it, that retweeted it, I can't thank you enough because we got 52 five-year-olds that are benefiting from this and i just my my heart goes out to all of you so thank you so much give our listeners a little backstory like what's on the video so um okay so i went to a new school and it is uh our main like this school was founded in california so we're getting the california money (laughs) (laughs) So I've always worked with a black and white printer. And they're like, oh, no, dude, like we got a color printer. I'm like, what? Like, I don't got to go to like a Kinko's Express or like a FedEx Express. They're like, no, we have a poster maker. So I'm like, I'm going to go all out with this. And like, you know, I like that, that, that new Thor movie fucking loved it. 
Thor is probably my favorite character in the MCU. So I'm just like, I'm going full Thor. And one thing, like, I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach five-year-olds how to read. And the key to that is getting them to love reading without them knowing how to read. So I go to a local comic book store and try to find as many comic books as I can. Because, like, they look at the pictures and they, they think it's cool. And then all of a sudden they, like, start to try to decode the word bubbles. So I'm like, all right, like, I'm fucking in. Like, this is my thing. Like, I'm going to... Like, I'm going to get you to, like, love learning while you think you're not learning. Like, I got you. Ha-ha. <laughs> um, so I just went full out with, like, the Thor theme. Um, like, all their name tags are, like, in lightning bolts. Uh, I have two classes that swap out. Uh, I have a morning class that I teach reading to. And then in the afternoon, I have another K-5 class that comes to me. So instead of using names, I use numbers. So I put all their numbers on hammers that look just like Mjolnir. And then I went and found uh, all the most beautiful Thor comic book covers I could find that also incorporate characters of uh, like different minorities and ethnicities. So like all of my kids can feel represented. Uh, put all like printed all that in color, laminate, put it all up. Uh, I put different Thors from the comics. Like uh, the big thing on Twitter is everyone loves that I put up the Throg, you know, like the Frog Thor. Yeah, um, yeah, that's awesome. You know, like uh, at like like at one time, I found out I have a couple of African American students, and I found out that Storm at one time actually held Mjolnir and was Thor, so she's on there. Uh, we did like, it's just all Thor. And I put all that up in my classroom and I took a video of it, threw it on Twitter, decided like, Hey, I'm going to tag Chris Hemsworth, take a TD, not thinking anything was going to happen of it. Um, did like, there's more stuff coming. You guys will be the first to know, uh, our school has voice levels. So level zero, you have to be quiet. And I found a picture of Thor with like that metal shit over his mouth from infinity war so that's when you got to be quiet in our level four when you can yell outside are the goats from love and thunder (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome and um a big thing with our kids is they they have been through a lot of trauma so we do like the zones of regulation which uh joe and i talked about last night uh it's different colors and i found different pictures of thor to replace with the boring shit and that's been reshared by tons of high level children psychiatrists um so they can identify where they're at and how they can get to the one they want to be at so is it like it's just a thor themed classroom i was having fun with it and never in my wildest dreams would i think that the guy that actually plays Thor in the movies would not only retweet it, but he would actually like comment on it. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, it was just a huge moment for my kids. Yeah. Like they can say they're in a classroom that's approved by Thor. (laughs) Okay. So cool. Like, isn't that fucking awesome, awesome, man? man? You got, you got, I'm like, I'm like, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I, I'm smiling cheek to cheek. Me just too. Listening to all this stuff that Paul is saying, it, it's just so amazing. And 
God, what I would have given to had Mr. Hart as my teacher back then instead yeah. of the fucking bags that I had. <laughs> no and, kidding. Like, I don't want to be that piece of shit, but, like, it's just, it's just me. Like, I just, you know, like, I feel like teaching you have to be at – when you teach kids, you have to give your full self. So, like, when they come in the morning, I'm not playing the music they listen to. Like, I'm playing, like, fucking 80s hair metal shit. Like, I want them to know me, and then we're going to end up putting their music on. Like, like to me, it's just, it's just me being me. Like, they get to see me, because if they can't trust me, how the fuck am I going to yeah, get but these kids to read? You're an inspiration, and I'm not just saying inspiration to kids. And let me finish this, man. I want to say this. You're an inspiration not only to kids, but, like, everybody listening to this podcast should be inspired to not only just take, like, the lessons that you, that you try to, uh, to give these children and the lessons that, like, uh, of care that you put into, like, this project. And you didn't do it for – you didn't do it for Chris Hemsworth. You didn't do it for all this stuff. But – People are taking notice, and I think people listening to this podcast that work with children, if they're a teacher, you're probably inspiring them, too. Like, maybe this is, like, the fucking injection that they needed to go out and fucking and make a difference themselves. Like, look at the difference that you're making, and you're, 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 you're an inspiration, man. Well, I, I appreciate it. And if there are educators, just be yourself and put those kiddos first, man, because that's... That's all that fucking matters. Like, yeah, just fucking do it to it. Just, you know, if they can't see the real you, you're not going to get through to them. So if that means they come in to fucking jump by Van Halen playing, so fucking be (laughs) it. Like they get to see you. You know what I mean? And uh, like Brooke, Brooke, I love you so much. You have been a huge uh, like advocate and retweeting Chris and like commenting on a lot of messages. Uh, Kevin, I just, I, I, I can't thank the army enough. I am a very, very thankful person right now to even be a part of this community. And it has, like I said, 52 smiling, beautiful kids have benefited from this community. And I cannot, I cannot thank you all enough. So thank you. And no, no, thank you for fucking doing doing what a lot of teachers don't do, man. Especially you this next thing that we're going to talk about, I think that this girl in this show would be a lot different if she had you as a teacher. <laughs> Let, let's talk about segway. Let's talk I'm about kidding. let's talk about little demon on uh, I'm FX. I'm just going to say this one last time, but yo, Chris Hemsworth retweeted me. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> It's epic, Paul. That's fucking. That's epic as hell. Um, speaking of hell, let's talk about Little Demon <laughs> again. <laughs> I not Jake. This man. I'm just. Am I nailing the segways this episode or? Uh, you, uh, five stars. Five stars. Speaking of nails, Jesus Christ. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Nailed it. That was a side splitting fucking joke, buddy. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was the best one. I put this. I'm putting this podcast on my back. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm gonna stop. I don't know how sacrilegious this is going. No, <laughs> it's not where I'm going. 
Anyway, Little Demon, this is a new animated show. In FX's Little Demon, an animated comedy featuring the voices of Danny DeVito and Aubrey Plaza. It has been 13 years since being impregnated by Satan and a reluctant mother, Laura, and her Antichrist daughter, Chrissy, attempt to live an ordinary life in Delaware. However, the two are constantly thwarted by monstrous forces, including Satan, who yearns for custody of his daughter's soul. Uh, Rick and Morty co-creator Dan Harmon joins forces here with executive producer Danny DeVito to bring us this. Um, it stars Aubrey Plaza, Lucy DeVito, who is uh, Danny DeVito's daughter. Uh, Danny DeVito voices Satan and... Uh, yeah, they dropped two episodes on uh, FXX. Um, I actually watched this live on the FXX app because I was like, I'll watch it tonight. I don't. I got so much I got to watch the next day. So I watched it live as it aired on FXX. And uh, That's awesome. The series features guest appearances. Uh, we, a lot of these we haven't heard yet, if not all of them. But Mel Brooks, uh, Rhea Perlman, his ex-wife, uh, Patrick Wilson... Uh, Will Jackson Harper, Dave Bautista is going to show up in this, uh, oh. Sam Richardson, and Arnold Schwarzenegger himself is going to reunite with Danny DeVito in this series. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. That is very cool. But uh, I want to know what you guys thought about this. I Well, hold on. I'll start. I thought the pilot episode was a little rough. They had to basically give us the backstory and all this and it was a little rough i think it ended with an interesting concept of like you know <laughs> kind of like parents now co-parenting and sharing time so she gets to spend a little bit of time with her satan daddy and then you know most of the week with her mother who uh reminded me of like uh of uh sarah connor from terminator kind of like preparing for you know sarah connor's preparing for judgment day and she gets all buff and shit and she's got like all the weapons and everything ready to go to fight the terminator and and uh before she gets sent away to the uh, fucking um that uh mental hospital mental institution yeah but i mean in this you've got a mother who's been preparing for the day where satan's gonna find her daughter and uh i did think it was wild that the day she has her period it opens like a vortex from the sky and like when she when when she and then it like doesn't her period blood turn into like a demon and start talking to her in the toilet at one point i was yeah. like this is fucking nuts and then she goes all fucking like her eyes go black and she starts fucking her like bones start fucking moving around her body starts contorting and she starts killing these two bullies in the bathroom i'm like this is fucking nuts um i did i appreciated the second episode a lot more where it was like this crazy possession story gone wild throughout the town and uh you know she's learning about how to possess people and shit i thought that that was kind of a fun wild episode so i'm going to give the first episode a taste it and the second episode a, a very high taste it and i did enjoy the show though overall i think it's a Wild concept. I love the voice acting of Danny DeVito and Aubrey Plaza here and looking forward to like the guest stars. And um, yeah, this is something I don't know if I'm going to watch it every week, but I definitely will do the binge when it's all collected on Hulu, I'm sure. So uh, it's something that I am enjoying. Um, Joe, what did you think about uh, Little Demon on uh, FXX Hulu? I had a very similar experience with it. Just watching the trailers for this before it was released, I was pretty excited for it. Uh, I, I love uh, Danny DeVito voicing the devil. I think it's been pretty good. 
the the story with the mom has been great too. It kind of reminds me of the Donny Cates comic book Baby Teeth, which is a a, a spin on a, a, a young woman having the the devil's child and then going on like kind of this big adventure where they go through hell and everything with it. And and this was really funny. I I did like the second better the second episode better than the first one as well. And and that kind of gives me hope that as this goes on, it's it's kind of going to be able to keep that up. Um, uh, I didn't know that they were going to have all the different guest stars in it, and that definitely makes me more excited to to keep up with it. So far for me, both episodes have, have just been a taste it, and but I I will keep up with it, but probably not on a week to week basis. Yeah, Jake, what'd you think? Yeah, I thought this looked really stupid on paper. Like the description sounded like it would not be something I would enjoy, but I ended up liking it quite a lot. I'm going to give it a high taste it. Um, yeah, I thought all the voice actors did a, just a really bang up job. I was surprised at how young Danny DeVito was able to sound in this. I was like, wow, this guy, I mean, he sounded like he could be in his 30s on his voice acting here. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was modulation or just him doing such a good job, but. I was really surprised by that. But yeah, a lot of the jokes were really funny. I thought the possession pee pee poo poo stuff was pretty <laughs> yeah, hilarious in yeah. the second episode. Yes. Um, a lot of urine <laughs> jokes from left field that I thought were really funny as well. Yeah, I just like how at sometimes wholesome this show could be and then just how like crazy Stephen King demonic batshit nuts it gets at points as well. I, I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, I probably won't watch this week to week, but this feels like something where if I have a day off, I'll just watch like six to eight episodes in a row. Yeah, like uh, fucking like, you know, Farzar Joe was so easy to watch because it was all there collected. So I think like once this is all collected on Hulu, I think I'll probably burn through these episodes. But I don't know if I'm going to be like tuning into FXX, you know. Agreed. I, I'd rather watch like a whole bunch of them in a row. Yeah. Than than to just give it, you know, because I mean, they're what like a little over twenty minutes. They're they're yeah. not super long episodes, and 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 yeah, Farzar worked great like that because you could binge all of them. Because I think with Farzar, had I only just watched the first episode or just the first two episodes, I don't know if it would have had as big of an impact on me as it did being able to watch the entire season. And, and fall in love with it the way I did. Oh, God. Fucking Farzar. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> Paul, have you watched Farzar? No. Watch it. Joe has be, been a big proponent of it. Uh, I need to get on that. Get on Farzar, man. You will fucking love this. I think you will love this show, Paul. Awesome. <laughs> I, st- I will. I still um, need to watch Solar Opposite Season 3. And Barry. Fuck you, Paul. <laughs> You're right, though. I need to, and I need to watch Hack season two. Oh man, yeah, you do. Did I you didn't s- even know about that. Now I'm gonna be on your ass even more. Did you see that? Uh, For all mankind, got a season four. I sure did. Fucking a, yeah, man. Good I sure shit. did. I'm excited about that. Good fucking shit. I haven't finished that either. Season three. God damn it. Man. I know. <laughs> what the? F- no, you're you're a busy guy. Oh my god. Jesus Christ. PCL, you're stretching me thin. You're stretching me thin. PCL, you're killing me. You're killing me. Fucking Barry's unforgivable, man. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. <laughs> This went from me fucking sucking your dick ten minutes ago to you fucking <laughs> fucking cutting mine off and feeding it to me. Unforgivable. <laughs> no, no, no. It's 
no. Uh, it's fine. No, it is unforgivable. <laughs> it's fine. I need to I need to get on Barry. Everybody's fucking raving about season two and season three, and here I am just fucking the lone season. Oh, I loved I it. Just, I just know how much you love that I first did. season. And you, oh, man. And I'm a, I, I'm a huge fan of... Uh, of Bill Hader and I love Henry Winkler and and here I am sitting on sitting on fucking season two sitting on season two Paul like a little bitch and season three and it's season three yeah completed I, they're out there for me to watch and here I am just sitting on that shit like a little cunt no no I am it's unforgivable <laughs> <laughs> Paul what'd you think about Little Demon. Yeah, this is a high taste. This usually isn't my type of comedy, uh, but it went so far out there at moments. Um, and again, like a, like a little real moment, I texted my kid's mother and was like, hey, I know we've had our differences, but at least one of us isn't the devil. Like, so we're good. We're good. Um, no, I, I like I did enjoy it. like I was kind of shocked at like some of the comedy, like how like actual TV news outlets would be talking about like an after party for a teenager's birthday party. And then all of a sudden we got Aubrey Plaza's animated character getting like fully full frontal nude. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, what the hell is happening here, man? <laughs> <laughs> whoa this is this is not the simpsons um it is yeah no i like i think i like i definitely agree with you guys i i don't think i'll watch this until all the episodes drop because i just kind of want to get this all done with in one sitting but like jake said i was like god like i was like man how are they gonna get like danny devito who's what like in his 70s to sound like a cool devil. I'm like, God damn, dude, this guy sounds young as hell. Um, it was great. And I love kind of like the body morphine going into different animals. Uh, you know, like Aubrey Plaza's character doing all this crazy shit of putting like animal bones in a condom for ass and traveling into like a different realm of hell. Like it was, like I said, it's usually not something I would be into, but I was, yeah, this was a pleasant surprise. So it's a, it's a high taste it. Oh, we all like Little Demon. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Good job. Jake, are you needing a little break there, buddy? You good? Uh, yeah, I'll take one. Oh, there he is. There he is. Yeah, I'll take one. Anytime I offer, <laughs> it's very rare that I offer and you turn it down. And those moments, and in those moments, Jake, I am... Like, like, like my mouth, it like hits the floor, like my jaw. It's just like, I got to pick it up off the floor. Like Jake doesn't need a break right now. <gasps> I'm going to oh. be completely transparent. The times I, I don't need a break, I'm doing it out of spite. And I still, I still really want the break. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to, we'll take a break. We'll be right back with the pop culture leftovers news. Hey, how are you? First, I want you to know that I sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And when I'm not impregnating my housekeeper, I like to buy t-shirts on popcultureleftovers.com. Or you can buy a PCO mug 
or stickers or even a skateboard deck. You can even buy a PCL bath mat. Listen to this. Imagine getting out of your shower if you have your balls out or your vagina and they're fully exposed and you're hovering just mere feet over the PCL Majestic logo. Hovering like a chopper. And just like a chopper, you should get to popcultureleftovers.com and click on the thread this link or you can head directly over to popcultureleftovers.threadless.com and buy a shirt. Come on, do it now. Do it. Buy a shirt. I'm here. I'm right here. All right. Hey, we are back. And uh, I turned my air on. So if you hear that in the background, which I've made you aware of it now, which you can probably hear it now. So I probably should have kept that to myself, shouldn't I, Jake? Yeah, you should have blamed someone else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was... God damn it, Paul, turn your air off. <laughs> it was Stephanie Chapman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got to keep cool when you're eating those pretzels, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, I was, I'm sweating my ass over off over here. It's like... I, it's 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 ridiculous. I look like uh, I look like Kevin Hart getting the meat sweats in the uh, Me Time movie over here, Paul. Man, dude, I, I kind of want to rewatch that tonight. I kind of want to. I, I kind of want to drive up there and watch it with you, Paul. We could just Fuck yeah, Aww. dude. That'd be a fun time. That man. would be a good time. That'd and be- then I think we should go like fucking. What do they do at the beginning of the movie? Uh, what is that? Uh, it's not skydiving. It's kind of like that sky gliding. Yeah, that sky gliding. They look like fucking like those sugar gliders. Yeah. <laughs> what if I was driving up there, Paul, and I fell asleep on the way, and then I fucking hit a tree and died? Well, that would be I, so tragic. God damn it, dude! I would, I would, I would be racked with guilt. <laughs> that, would that would, that would drive Paul's the type that would would take that guilt forever too. That would drive him mad. Why did I? Why did I even bring up that scenario? <laughs> that was very gruesome. That was crazy, man. <laughs> okay. Like, hey, let's watch this movie together. But what happened if I died on the way there? Like, oh man, yeah. I don't know. Let's see, hold on, I'm gonna, we need a palate cleanser after that dark and, <laughs> and morbid scenario. Here we go, guys. Here we go. You ready for this? Here we go. That's what you need to be playing so you don't run into a tree. Yeah, no yeah, shit. <laughs> I fucking roll down the windows, let the cool air hit me in the face, and play this really loud. <laughs> like, oh my god. My eyes get all wide. Whoa! That's like the fucking that's like the uh that's like the fucking nitrous oxide in those early Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> yeah, it's hitting the nitrous oxide fucking button, I'm just like Oh, oh no! Fuck. God damn it, Jake! He died again. <laughs> what if it was just like? What if like the paramedics show up to the scene and there I am, bloody by the tree, and it's just on a loop. <laughs> and then I'm sitting here looking out my window with like a bowl of popcorn. Are you ready? Like, like they're like, I don't know how to write this up. We showed up, the guy was dead, and all we heard was. <laughs> 
finally go home to their families. <laughs> You'll never believe what the fuck happened. <laughs> <laughs> All you heard was like this lady screaming, <laughs> yelling, singing about energy, and this guy had a complete lack of it. Brian's dead. <laughs> Somehow you made this scenario even worse. I, I no, I think you made it better. It was very dark and uncomfortable. Yeah. And now it's fucking hilarious. Yeah, I was like on my way to like watch this movie with you and ha- you know spend time, have good times, and then I, then I'm dead, and then all of a sudden it's like you know. <laughs> <laughs> But now I'm thinking of myself, like, looking out the window, waiting for your arrival. And you're sitting, like, on the, Paul, on Paul, the offside of a road listening to energy. Paul just here, paramedics here's, are like, what the fuck? Here's Paul. He opens up his door, opens up his door, and he sees, like, these flashing lights and smoke coming off this car. And, like, this fucking, <laughs> this, this tree is halfway down, and he hears in the distance. <laughs> Oh, dude, that was some good special effects. Thank you. (laughs) See, it wasn't as loud as before. It was off in the distance. That was real good. I'm dead off in the distance, and that's all you hear. And then he gets a little bit closer. Now Paul's right up on me. He's right up on me. (laughs) You think Paul goes in and watches the movie anyway? (laughs) I would say no. Paul's like, you know, I guess we're going solo tonight. He wouldn't have the taste for it, I don't think, at that point. Yeah. Question, do we play the energy song at your funeral? Oh my god! Actually, I will one of these days. I will reveal the song that I do want to have played at my funeral. I've I've had this in the back of my mind, and I'm going to bring it up on a future podcast. Oh, what a t- what a tease! Yeah, it is a tease. <laughs> it's not the energy bumper, though. <laughs> it's not the energy bumper. Yeah. I'm surprised Paul wouldn't get like PTSD from it after that. He, he says he's bummed that it's not. <laughs> but in this scenario, I would think Paul would never want to hear that bumper again. No, no, you're right, Jake. I would. Even if someone's like, hey, Paul, do you want an energy drink? I think <laughs> Paul would be like. <laughs> Never get my me time with Brian. <laughs> it's like the fucking ceiling fans in Apocalypse Now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Mm. Yeah, I guess we got news to talk about, right? Oh, no. <laughs> time for the pop culture leftovers news. <laughs> no. It's it's time for the pop culture leftovers news. Hear ye, hear ye, read all about it. It's a leftover news and there's no doubt about it. This news is gangsta as fuck, yo. It's gangsta as fuck, yo. Joe was pretty quiet when we were talking about me dying there. You know what? You know did what, you did, did you take the Joe? Did you go to a very real place there? 
I was laughing along with it. Okay. Just making, <laughs> just, just making sure everything was normal over there. We were, we were having a good time talking about my death. And, I, you know, I just wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page, that we could all have a chuckle about, about me, uh, you know, uh, tragic circumstances surrounding my death there, Joe. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of want you to put, like, in your will for your funeral – of like when the pastor starts talking about something that like the news bumper just interrupts him. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Like this news is gangster as fuck. Yeah. And uh, like, since oh. no, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> Hopefully, Jake will be in attendance, and uh, we'll be able to play the uh, the Star Wars bumper that he hates so much. <laughs> Jake just falls to his knees. <laughs> I'll just declare I can't hear the bumpers. <laughs> Jake's like, hey, can we take a break? Like, during <laughs> during my funeral. <laughs> I drank a lot of coffee. We'd have to change the words to that Star Wars bumper. Though. Brian was a young boy. He crashed his car and died. <laughs> a lot of coffee. I need to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> All right. News from Dark Horizons. I don't even know what to say, but this is crazy. Jesse Eisenberg to play a Sasquatch. What? <laughs> yeah. 38-year-old <yeah. laughs> Oscar nominee Jesse Eisenberg has confirmed he'll be playing Bigfoot in the upcoming next effort of the Zellner Brothers, appearing at the 28th uh, Sarajevo Film Festival last week in Southeast Europe. The Social Network and Batman v Superman star confirmed the nature of his role, which will be his next project. He tells Variety, The next movie I'm doing is with the Zellner brothers. They're just these brilliant directors that I've wanted to work with for a long time. And I'm playing a Sasquatch in full makeup, in full body hair. No lines. I grunt, but no lines. And I'm so looking forward to this. Further specifics of the film are under wraps. Sibling directors David and Nathan Zellner have tackled the subject matter before, specifically in the 2010 four-minute short film Sasquatch Birth Journal 2. Uh, which what was, a name. Yeah. yeah I, I, hope part, I, I never saw part one, so I don't know what happened <laughs> in Journal 2, which was nominated for a Sundance Film Festival Award. Eisenberg previously starred with David Zellner in 2019's The Art of Self-Defense, with the brothers both executive producing. Eisenberg was at the film festival premiere, his directorial debut, When You Finish Saving the World. Do we really need Jesse Eisenberg to play a Sasquatch? Like, what is he going to be bringing to this performance, especially if he's not talking? I don't, I don't understand this. That's like, what is going on here? Like, you get Jesse Eisenberg, and is that the draw of this movie? Is it just going to be this quirky... How, what is he bringing to this performance? And he's not like the. Are they gonna? Are they gonna make him tall like a Sasquatch, or is he gonna be Jesse Eisenberg size? I don't understand any of that what's going on. That was my first thought. Is he a, yeah. is he an adolescent Bigfoot? He's not very imposing. He doesn't stand very tall. I mean, I guess I'm glad it's not another CGI Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah, count your blessings, right, Jake? I I, I just. I can't wrap my head around this fucking concept. Oh, my 
god. Let's get a mysterious monster shared universe. Can we get like Michael Sarah as the Loch Ness monster in the next movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want uh Adrian Brody as the New Jersey Devil. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> What is going on here? <laughs> Weekly World News the movie. Charlie Day stars as Chupacabra. <laughs> <laughs> You can't wait until all these characters meet and say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, maybe they can get fucking Daniel Day Lewis to come out of fucking retirement. Oh, <laughs> now that would be wild. Daniel Day Lewis comes out of retirement to play a non speaking Sasquatch. Daniel Day Lewis as the Mothman. <laughs> They're just gonna I get... want to know what sort of prep work he would do to prepare for that role. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's wild. I don't know. I mean, I I really just wanted to bring this up because I think it'll be. It was just shock and amazement for me to read that. I was just like, "What in the hell?" And I mean, what is he going to bring to this? This is just. Who else is going to be starring in this? What is this about? Why is Jesse Eisenberg excited to play a Sasquatch? I mean, <laughs> how did they sell him on this? This is such a bizarre story. <laughs> There's really not a lot to say about it. I can't wrap my head around it. It is bizarre. News from comicbook.com. The Boys Season 4 officially adds Jeffrey Dean Morgan to the cast. About time. Awesome. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, this is fucking great. I didn't watch Supernatural, but I know he is a part of that. Last season they got Jansen Eccles, who I thought was fucking great, as Soldier Boy, and now they're getting Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Eric Kripke formally confirmed that Jeffrey Dean Morgan is on The Boys by sharing a set photo of The Boys gang all giving him the finger. And, uh, <laughs> man, I, I'm so fucking excited, dude. It sounds like, what did they say in this article? They're going to start uh, filming... Oh man, I think they're going to start filming here shortly. I think I, I hope they're going to start filming here shortly. I think it's already started. Has it really? I thought it was starting. I, in I thought I saw a tweet or something that that filming for season four had started. Fucking a man, bring it, dude! This, oh, what fantastic news! Like this, uh, this is an awesome show, and it just got even better with that casting announcement. I, I, I love Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and I, I'm so happy that Kripke's kind of pulling from like. You know, these supernatural actors. It's like, you know, that's what James Gunn does, you know, pulling Rucker and pulling these guys that he's, you know, Batista and these guys that he likes working with. And I, I love the fact that Kripke's given, you know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan something to do on, on The Boys season four. So it just, it'll be exciting to see who they cast him as, too. Yes. Because, you know, leading up to season three when they were talking about Soldier Boy, in the comics, Soldier Boy is, it's, it's nothing. And so what they're doing here on The Boys with like, taking these characters from the comic and even if they didn't have a very big impact in the comic they're turning them into something completely different in the show and it's it's just been working out so spectacularly for three seasons in a row it's like the show just keeps getting better and better so i can't wait to see what they're going to do with him who they're going to cast him as do you think he's going to be a villain joe i just found the answer this is like breaking news jeffrey dean morgan to play a sasquatch in the boys <laughs> season oh, man, I'm going for that <laughs> I hear he's very excited <laughs> very excited very excited 
<laughs> so, man. Roll of a lifetime. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Joe, I mean, come on. He's got to be a villain, right? He's got to be a villain. Come on. Play to your strengths. Play to your strengths. But I feel maybe not like a super-powered villain. Like, he might be like uh, like a political candidate. After what we saw at the end of the third season, does Billy Butcher have a brother that that lived? Oh man, no. Not that. Lived. I mean, not that we know of. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. Huh. But, a political one does make sense though, because Newman is basically got herself in line to be the next VP. With Utah so, Bob or, or Montana New, Bob New, or whatever. Nevada Bob. Nevada, Nevada Bob. <laughs> New Mexico Bob. <laughs> Idaho Bob South Carolina Bob yeah, West Virginia Robert You know I, 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 I don't know geography Ohio Bob <laughs> Ohio Bob <laughs> Puerto Rico's Is Puerto Rico considered part of the United States Puerto Rico and Bob I don't know well, like, the character that Jeffrey Dean Morgan played in Rampage was really fun, so if he did something similar to that in The Boys, that would be cool, too. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know, man. You know, it's cool, man. You know, he was kind of denied getting to ever play. Like, we thought, like, there was going to be a chance where Jeffrey Dean Morgan was going to be playing, um... Um... Oh, Thomas God. Wayne. Thomas Wayne, thank you. Jesus Christ, my mind fucking blanked. <laughs> yeah, like like the Flashpoint version. Of Thomas yeah, Wayne. yeah, and that yeah, kind of got stri- sure. that kind of got stripped from him. I wonder if they're going to give him a role kind of like that, but in this, you know what I mean? Because that's what they've been doing. Yeah. In this in this show, right? Giving us kind of like you know like Jensen Eccles played like a a different take on a on Captain America, like. The, the the version where you know you thought you were getting Captain America, but you know unbeknownst to everybody else, like he was kind of a shit bag, a huge shit bag. So, oh, dude. <laughs> so it'll be interesting. To, I'm just excited that a, an actor that I really really enjoy is going to be part of a show that I that I love so much. So yeah, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, season four in the Boys, fantastic news. Let's jump into uh, Marvel news this week. Marvel news. What'd you guys think about She-Hulk episode two, Jake? I liked it a lot. I thought it was a great episode. Um, I loved the stuff with uh, with Tim Roth. I thought that was a lot of fun. It had a, a lot of fun Easter eggs. I was surprised to get some more Hulk again already in episode two, and what we saw with him was pretty batshit crazy. Um, yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. I still think the the half an hour very sitcommy format really works for this show. It's just really light and breezy, and, and just such an easy fun watch. Yeah, Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I'm loving this show so far. It's it's a really nice change of pace to get something that is uh, a a little you know a, a little sillier, and and I think the fourth wall breaks in it are really fun. Uh, I, I love seeing Tim Roth come back into it in the change that's happened with his character in the way that they tied it in with with uh, his scene that he had in Shang-Chi. 
I'm very excited about what's going on with this. Uh, I, I still see some of the, the complaints online with people talking about the CGI, but I haven't noticed it quite so much. Uh, but it, it could be that, you know, I'm, I'm generally watching these things like on the go, <laughs> sometimes even on the, a, a cell phone. So, I mean, it's maybe I would have a different experience if I were watching this on a really, really big TV screen. Maybe that CGI would jump out at me a little bit more. But at least with me watching it on these smaller screens so far, the CGI hasn't bothered me. And um, yeah, I just I just love the 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 comedy in this. It's it's cool because we haven't really seen the MCU do this yet. And, and it's been doing been done really well so far. And with her doing these fourth wall breaks and knowing that Deadpool is going to be coming in at some point, I think it'll be really fun if they can figure out a way to put those two together and and have it be so that they acknowledge that he, they both can do fourth wall breaks. I think they could have some fun with that. Uh, I'm going to say that I thought that the CGI of her in the bar as She-Hulk and her going into like the new law office was terrible. I thought it was very bad. Um, I did get a lot of the Fiona from Shrek vibes from it, sadly. And um, I did think that uh, it's a comedy, but I honestly feel like it's a lot of the comedy is forgettable. I'm enjoying the show. I'm enjoying, like, what they're setting up, what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. I just don't think that the comedy's funny. Like, I, it's not laugh-out-loud funny for me. Like, some of the jokes land, like, 90s sitcoms that weren't funny. It's not like, if I'm making any sense at all. I I just, I've never had, I haven't had, like, big laugh-out-loud moments, like, especially in the second episode with the comedy or, like, the fourth wall breaks. I don't think that they've been spectacular or anything i definitely think that deadpool does it better but i did enjoy the story and like what's going on with like her and this new law firm and her and like the whole her having to defend emil blonsky i like what they're setting up there and i like the story there i just don't think that the comedy is like on the level of other marvel projects that we've that we've seen like in the past like i'm talking like the first thor movie i'm talking about the guardians movies and even some of the comedy that we get in, you know, like some of the main Avengers movies, like when it hits, it hits. So I just, I just haven't been blown away by the comedy uh, in She-Hulk yet. Um, Paul, are you watching this? No, I'm uh, waiting for Hazel to come home so I can watch it with her. Okay. Yeah. So you're waiting to have a watch with her. Um, but, uh, Overall, I'm liking. I'll give the second episode a high taste. It. Uh, it. We did get the. We did see that Emil Blonsky had uh, has has escaped. We saw the you know him fighting in the video footage and the ring that we saw in Shang Chi. So, I think that. Here's the thing. It's like. The showrunner said that this was the. This, the events of this took place after the events of Shang-Chi, not that much long after, but I think like since this was recorded uh, a, a recording, I think it was leaked after I don't think this is something that's happening at the same time, right? So he's in prison it's just Wong was able to like 
use a sling ring, get in there, bring him out, have him take, you know, be a part of these fights. Somebody recorded it. Somebody had held on to the footage and then leaked it for their benefit. So there's, I'm, That's the way I took it, that, that it wasn't, like, in real time happening yeah. that moment. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm taking it as, too. I I think that since Jen is Jennifer Walters is representing him now, that maybe they want to throw a monkey wrench into this situation. And I think maybe, like, Val wants him to stay in prison. That way she can kind of use him... In the Thunderbolts, like, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. To, to kind of control. I, I I'm not 100 percent sure if that's really what they're gonna lead to. I just can't see there's any way of him not being a member of the Thunderbolts. So, yeah, I think that that's a a pretty good. I mean, because what other Hulk type character are they gonna have on that team? Especially now, we you know with the passing of. Um, uh, oh my! Blanking on William name. Hurt. William Hurt, Thank who you. is General Ross, who, and they were talking about having Thunderbolt Ross be the Red Hulk, which they could. Me and Jake talked about this. We we still think that there could be a Red Hulk in the MCU. It it would just have to be someone else, right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, with the way that the way that her blood, with the way that Hulk's blood worked in Jennifer, like if somebody else were to, I think there's like the the. The thing that kind of like stuck out to me was the fact that we got a shot of Hulk like, you know, taking those lasers to the blood. Like, yeah, this blood is dangerous. We got to get rid of it. Maybe they just did that because, you know, you don't want people to know that there's blood laying around. And so somebody else could get a hold of it. So they're, they are trying to eliminate it. But maybe they are also trying to set it up to like if there is any blood le- leftover blood and if somebody got their hands on it, they could create their own Hulk. So... Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But I do think that Abomination could definitely be a part of the Thunderbolts. I just don't see them not doing that. It just makes sense to have that character as a member of the Thunderbolts. And maybe Val leaked that footage to kind of keep him in that prison. That way she could bring him out on missions, kind of like a Suicide Squad type thing, to where he could reduce his sentence by doing the work with the Thunderbolts undercover. So I don't know. We'll see. But uh, we did get the shot of Hulk on the Sakarian ship headed somewhere. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people saying, oh, you know, maybe he's maybe this is all about like what they talked about at the end of Shang-Chi and doing some investigating on, you know, that beacon in outer space. I think that's what Carol Danvers is doing. I think she's looking into that. And I think that we saw like what happened with that at the end of Ms. Marvel. And this is from the direct. She-Hulk producer confirms where Hulk's spaceship is going. Is Hulk off to Sakaar? She-Hulk creator responds. She-Hulk attorney at law's second episode revealed that Mark Ruffalo's smart Hulk is headed off, uh, somewhere off-world to presumably investigate the message from the Sakaran Class A courier craft that was featured in the show's debut installment. In an exclusive interview with the direct's Pamela Gores, she-Hulk producer Jessica Gao pointed out that Hulk's time off planet in Thor Ragnarok is the key to answering the question of why Hulk decided to go to space. Quote, well, all I'll say is, you know, he spent a lot of time off planet as we saw in Thor Ragnarok, and we only got to see a little tiny bit of what his life was like when he was on that planet. 
Gao continued by teasing that the Hulk is set to handle some off-world things that happened during his time in Sakaar and potentially before he landed on that planet. Quote, I mean, God knows what Hulk got up to in the years he was there, so he's got to go back and handle some off-world things that happened during that time. Uh, speaking to TV line, Gao also mentioned how the decision to take Bruce away from Earth was partially fueled by the desire to communicate that Mark Ruffalo wouldn't be in the entire series. A big part of it is Mark did what he came to do on the show, and we wanted to make sure that people knew don't expect him to be in every episode from here on out. Um, the MCU producer did add, though, that the spaceship does allow Marvel Studios to continue Hulk's outer space story if they wanted. But also, I think it's kind of uh, kind of opens up the possibility if Marvel chooses to to do something with that to pick up that story if they wanted. Of course, they're going to pick up that story. We're not going to leave that floating out there, dangling out there. And I think that there's a big chance that come September 10th at D23, Kevin Feige tells us we're getting a World War Hulk, World War Hulk movie. I think I, I guys, I think that if this. 15-year thing that they're talking about, that the that uh, distribution rights would end. Universal would lose their distribution rights, and and the Hulk character would 100% be owned by Marvel after the 15-year lapse. I think that in June 2023, that opens up the door that after June 2023, Marvel Studios could make a World War Hulk movie. So... Yeah, I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire, and I'm definitely more and more starting to believe that we're going to get this World War Hulk thing. Um, That was an interesting quote from that interview, because I wondered the same thing. Like, were we going to continue this storyline right here on She-Hulk, or was that writing the Hulk out of this story completely? So it's nice to know that that's where we're going to leave that character until we find out what's coming next. Right? We're not going to see any more Hulk now. Yeah, that's what she's saying. I mean, Kevin Feige said a lot of things, and other people, the Russo brothers, have said things in the past. Maybe it'll be the post-credit scene or something teasing a future project. But um, I was just surprised by the pacing of that because when we did the uh, She-Hulk episode one bonus episode, I think we were all kind of in agreement that the Hulk would possibly book in this series. Like that was a bunch of Hulk we got in the first episode, and then. Later on, we would revisit that character. So I was just surprised that episode two, we were just kind of pushing him out the door. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if this season of She-Hulk is because when when you guys did your special episode, you were talking about if she's already a great lawyer and she's already starting off as a great Hulk. What what is her struggle and story going to be? And I'm curious if that's the struggle is going to be her just trying to make the two of these things work together. And if throughout the course of this first season, if she starts to get a handle on all this and it's going the way it needs to go, I mean, like, like it's working out for her by the end of it. And then they throw something in where Bruce comes back in either saying, Hey, I need your help with this. I need another Hulk to be able to do this or, you know, some sort of post-credit scene maybe with the, that shows it. But, um, I, I think that that could be how this goes is that we're going to see her struggling with, with doing the two of these things. And when she's finally getting on track and, and kind of having a balance of being a Hulk and a lawyer, now Bruce comes back into the picture and throws a big monkey wrench into things. I don't know, Joe, uh, Joe. I, here's what I'm, I'm thinking. This sets up everything perfectly for Feige at D 23, where Kevin Feige is like announcing all these amazing things and uh, 
we get to he's like, oh, if you've been watching She-Hulk, you know that uh, Smart Hulk has gotten on a Sakarian ship is in, and is headed out into outer space. And uh, I'm here to tell you that we're getting World War Hulk. This might be the last time, you know, that I'm thinking like it's the perfect setup for that. We might not see any more Bruce Smart Hulk in this series at all. And it might just be leading us in the next two weeks for that big announcement of World War Hulk. I'm starting to think that's exactly right after seeing this and hearing what you had to say. So, yeah, I mean, we might be done with Hulk after this. We'll see. I, it'll be interesting, Joe, man. I, I, I really don't know if, if, uh, I, I don't even know if I can see She-Hulk showing up in, in, in the, in the World War Hulk movie. So, yeah, well, I would say no. Probably I would not. say no either. I would say no too. It's just it, it, it doesn't make sense. It just seems like it's going to be. We've been waiting so long for a Hulk movie. This this sounds like it's just going to be Hulk centric. So, yeah, I, I would be super stoked to get a World War Hulk movie. I, I hope that is something that get gets announced. Uh, news from Dark Horizons. Uh, yeah, we're moving on from She-Hulk. I'm still watching. I'm, I'm still going to be watching it week from week, and I'm still enjoying the series overall. Uh, news from Dark Horizons. Uh, frequent TV director Matt Shackman. He uh, directed WandaVision, episodes of Game of Thrones, uh, The Good Wife, has officially dropped out of directing the next Star Trek film at Paramount Pictures due to scheduling conflicts. The project was set to be the fourth in the Kelvin timeline that, begin, that began with 2009 Star Trek and saw Chris Pine take over the role of Captain James T. Kirk. The news follows right in the wake of reports that Shackman was in talks to direct the new Fantastic Four movie at Marvel Studios. Though that deal hasn't been closed, his dropping the next Star Trek suggests it's likely to be. Uh, Jake, what did we talk about last week on the podcast? I mean, we we made this exact prediction that this was probably what was going to happen i mean we had to go on that it was probably going to be someone that had already worked on a disney plus series in some capacity that they weren't going to go completely outside the box and we we all kind of finalized on this decision already well it was one of those things where grace randolph had put out a you know a tweet basically saying that uh you know yeah it looks like marvel the director that they're looking for is going to be somebody that they've worked for in a Disney Plus series and that has, you know, uh, worked in the MCU before. And that, I, I mean, I was thinking it sounds like it could be Matt Shackman. And I'm, another name that I brought up was Peyton Reed, but Peyton Reed only had worked on, he'd worked in the MCU, but he hadn't worked, and he'd worked on a Disney Plus show, but it wasn't, it, it was The Mandalorian. It wasn't, an MCU uh, Disney Plus show, so I, I was th- I was thinking Matt Shackman, and that's th- and it's not set yet, but no, but it looks very likely. Everyone's saying Matt Shackman, so I'm actually excited for this because I did like what he did with Wandavision, and so um, I'm excited. It's a little sad for Star Trek fans, though. I think he's yeah. also a perfect fit for that franchise, like with what he did in Wandavision. And like what the Star Trek movie franchise kind of tries to achieve to be like an homage to the original series. I, he would have been a perfect fit there, I think. Do you remember Much an- better than Justin Lin. Do you remember another thing that I brought up? I don't know if it was last week or the week before. I think it might have been last week. I said something like, 
I remembered reading somewhere that he was a that Kevin Feige was a Star Trek fan and wanted to make this Fantastic Four more Star Trek. Mm, I think that was last week. Well, look look who he might be getting the Star Trek director, the guy that dropped out of Star Trek. It, like, how does that like like literally, Jake? This is something that I said on the last podcast. I mean, it's crazy how these things are kind of lining up. Yeah, and I think Fantastic Four in like its original inception and the original Star Trek have a lot in common, honestly, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Paul, do you have any thoughts on any of this? I'm just curious, man. No, not really. I, it just all excites me. I do trust Marvel uh, and Kevin Feige, so I'm going to go wherever they tell me to go. <laughs> Thank you for adding nothing. Um, <laughs> That's what I do. You loyal Marvel sheep. <laughs> Paul's just like, I'm just get, glad Brian didn't ask me that Rob McElhenney, Ryan Reynolds question again. You know what? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, questions I can't shake. I know. Uh, Paul, hold on. I think you need something, buddy. Dead behind Brian's dead body. Yeah. <laughs> I just see like paramedics working on you and like pulling the <laughs> sheet over you now. Yeah, oh. there's there's nothing to work on, man. I am lifeless, dude. <laughs> well, yeah, there's no energy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, kind of. The song's playing. <laughs> that yeah, that's what that's what's that's what's so ironic about it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the crazy shit. Yeah. yeah, but the fact that it was loud means like it's in my front yard right now, and I'm, oh yikes! I know. Like yeah, yeah. What if it was like a tree in your yard too, and it was like a tree that you? Were... Oh, so close! Yeah. Oh, God no. damn it, dude. <laughs> If you I don't like this at all. Stayed awake ten more seconds. <laughs> I don't like this at all, man. And Paul, like the previous week, was actually having you know he was going to have like a guy come out there and pull the tree out, you know, and like get rid of it. <laughs> and Paul was like, "Oh, that can wait till next week." Why are we adding this out? <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like how you're clearly making it Paul's fault now. <laughs> like, what's next? Like, I'm in a civil lawsuit with you and your family. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> 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 and then my ghost visits you and blames you. Wow. <laughs> Damn it. I, I haunt you every night. <laughs> if only I would have texted him 10 minutes earlier. Oh, man. <laughs> and you see like Paul's planner and when he was supposed to have the tree removed. And you're like, why didn't this happen? Why was this tree there? Why was this tree you know, there? Jake, you can go straight to hell right now, man. You were supposed to. I even see here in the plans you were going to replace it with a bouncy castle. And <laughs> <laughs> have a bouncy castle. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <sighs> 
And oh man, went. dude, I'm so glad. This is like my origin of being a murderer episode. <laughs> no, nah, you're not a murderer. You're just a procrastinator. Yeah. That led to my death. The fuck? <laughs> That's supposed to make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are one. I mean, you can still find some sympathy, I think, with that story. If you outright murdered Brian, it would be hard to to get the sympathy. Yeah. I was supposed to remove a tree and then was like, oh, no, don't do it. And then that tree kills him. Well, okay. And I feel guilty. I mean, I, you take that secret to your grave, and that's why I want <laughs> you so much. Let's no, say. Dude, I'm, I'm having Chris Hemsworth retweet that moment. <laughs> okay. It's not as bad as, like, let's say, like, if I crashed and hit the tree and I come out, like, you come out and you see it, and there and I, I am. go back inside. And I'm, no, and I'm still alive. I'm, I'm fucking banged up and shit. And you panic. Because it's in your yard, and you just start stabbing me in the neck. Man, I really don't like this episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird go-to panic move, but I guess... Yeah, what the happen. hell, man? I don't know. You just remember that scene from Goodfellas with Joe Pesci with the pen, and you're just like... <laughs> was, that, was that Goodfellas, or was that fucking Casino? Uh, I think that's Casino, actually. It was Casino. Okay. Yeah. Brian, uh, did, you is shine my shoes? <laughs> Brian, did you shine my shoes? <laughs> cornfield is also a Casino. Oh, that's really? The movie ends. Oh, yeah. Goodfellas, like, is in the basement. Like, it's like in the man cave where Joe Pesci meets his maker. Like, he goes to, like, he, he, he goes to get made and he walks into the room and he gets shot in the back of the head. Spoilers. Which, Brian, I would not do to you. uh, Well, thank you, Paul. That's nice of you. Not on purpose. Yeah. Right. Accident. (laughs) Well, Paul gave me the wrong directions, and I showed up to a house where they fucking stabbed me. (laughs) (laughs) Brian showed up to the wrong leg maid ceremony. Uh, Damn it. Anyway, let's. I'm not a fan. I'm not a yeah. fan of this one. <laughs> Matt Shatner. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, we talked about some tweets last week from Great Phase 15. And Great Phase 15 said, Evan Peters is not in Wonder Man. He is returning as Ralph Boner. However, it's a red herring that's not his real name. His real character in the MCU is playing the long game in the works since WandaVision was being developed. He will return in a project late 2024. It was going to be earlier, but this movie has had some delays in finding consistent creative team behind the scenes. Uh, then somebody online asked Great Phase, is he playing a character in the comics? Yes, the Georgian story is not the same as the comics. We are not meeting him at his origin. He's seasoned by the time we reach this movie. He's not on any speaking terms with his family. And there's a follow-up tweet this week after yesterday's Shackman news. Great Face 15 said, how very curious after today's news, bookmark this kiddos and revisit at a later date. It's all very amusing how things all fall into place like that. People are thinking that he's hinting that Evan Peters is possibly playing Johnny Storm. Mm. The Human Torch. Ooh, I hate that. 
I don't like it either. Yeah. I don't know how much of that I'm buying into. Crash into a tree in front of my house. I don't like it. (laughs) That rumor can crash in front of a tree in your house. (laughs) (laughs) Paul will feel no guilt. No, then I will stab. I'll stab that one when it comes out asking for assistance. I don't like it. I'm hoping that like. I'm just hoping that either the Fantastic Four are coming from another multiverse or they've been, you know, ever since the 60s, they've been stuck in the quantum realm. That's what I'm hoping for. One of those two outcomes. Yeah, I most definitely don't want they've been here all along. We just never focused on them or Yeah. And and that Ralph Boner turns out to be fucking Johnny Storm. That's the worst. (laughs) That's terrible. That's a boner killer. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, my. Grace Randolph says she heard that part of Matt Shackman's pitch for the Fantastic Four included, quote, being true to the comics, being very lighthearted, and having f- a focus on exploration. I love that. Um, she also... She also says later in a video, both her and her sources think it's highly likely that the Fantastic Four will be teased in some way at the end of Mania, as the ending of that film is a perfect entry point for the Fantastic Four. So if that's true, that means that they probably were stuck in the quantum realm. But then again, we've heard from other people, Great Phase 15 in particular, or Can We Get Toast? I think it was Can We Get Toast? Yeah, it was Can We Get Toast that um, Fantastic Four will not show up in anything before their movie no teases like the first time we see the fantastic four is going to be in their movie so i i don't know she's saying it's highly likely that they'll be teased at the end of quantum media it'll be interesting to see if that happens or not or if the first time we see them is going to be in their in their movie if we're not going to get any kind of like post-credit scenes or or any teases of the fantastic four other than possibly doom in Wakanda forever, but just as far as the main four, the family are concerned, it'll be interesting to see when we first see them, because we've got some conflicting rumors here. One is basically saying, can we get Toast to saying, no, you will not see them before their movie. And Grace Randolph is saying, it's likely, it just makes sense for us to see them at the end of Quantum Mania for where this movie's going to go. Yeah, so, Toast has the way, like, ballsier rumor, right? Like, yes. the Grace Randolph version is, like, the easy one to predict. Like, you can just connect the dots on that one. So I I, I prefer not seeing them until their own movie. I, I think that's really fun. We've been waiting so long. I, I just, I don't know. I don't need the end credits. Here's the Fantastic Four scene. I Just give me the fucking movie. Well, hers leads me to believe that they've been trapped in the quantum realm. And she's like, this is the perfect entry point for the Fantastic Four. Right? I mean, if that's what she's saying, it's the perfect entry point for the Fantastic Four. That leads me to believe that that's where they've been. In the quantum realm. So, yes, it would make sense for them to... Sh- somehow pop up in quantum mania if that's what her sources are telling her but i mean if they're not in the quantum realm if they are just a family that's in space and i don't know man i it's one of those things where it's now we've got people who are somewhat reliable 
giving us different information. So it's it'll be interesting to see which one of these sources are correct. Who's getting the correct shit from their sources? So. Yeah, I mean, if I had to bet, I'd bet on Grace Randolph because that's um, that's the easier prediction. And honestly, that probably will be what happens as we see him before the movie. But I, I hope not. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the MCU way is that yes. they use these these stingers at the end of their movie to show you what's coming up. And they've done it ever since the beginning. So that does feel the most likely course. It does. It really does. Yeah. Oh, we didn't even talk about in She-Hulk the fucking tease for Wolverine. <laughs> no, we did not. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, man. And uh, what was it? It it it's like said, man and man and bar uses. It says man metal cl- man fights with metal claws in bar. So she's she's on the internet and she's and off to the side there's these little thumbnails for articles and one of them is man fights with metal claws in bar brawl so i think that is our first tease of uh of wolverine so he exists in the universe right i mean he's that's got to be wolverine yeah it's it's, that's interesting because we talked a couple weeks ago about how we might not see x-men for a very long time and it seems like uh a weird Easter egg if it's still going to be many, many years off before we see this character. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, think about the tease of seeing Wakanda on the map when, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a great point. They've done stuff very much like this. So, yeah. Um, let's jump into DC news. Let's jump into DC news. Last night. Batman destroyed my vagina. And now the leftovers are going to destroy DC News. It's time for DC News, you fucking pieces of shit. Uh, I saw there's a YouTube video uh, from the directors of uh, the Batgirl movie. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, somebody had translated what, these, uh, what Bilal Falah had said during this and uh, basically what it was was all the Batgirl footage that they had Warner Brothers Discovery deleted it he said I went on the server and everything was gone we were like fucking shit we did not even keep the scenes we did not even get to keep the scenes with Batman in it just gone all their hard work gone And, and here's the thing yeah, do we think that if they would have been able to keep this stuff, that this shit would have got leaked? I 100% think it eventually would have got leaked. Totally. Agreed. Yeah. It always does. Yes. Isn't there, like, like I read something about, like, funeral screenings happening. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm actually getting to that here in a moment, yeah. Okay. Um, this was, uh... Oh, hold on. I want to talk about these guys. Uh, this is from um, uh, TellerReport.com, and they were talking about how it was. <sighs> yeah. The feature film was canceled without notice by the new boss of the studios. The directors of Batgirl no longer have any access to the rushes of the film they were finalizing. Adil L. Arby and Bilal Falah told French-language media script uh, what happened just after Warner's unilateral decision to cancel the broadcast of their feature film on any medium. When they heard the news, their first instinct was to collect the fruits of their labor 
and they tried to capture um, uh, the um, uh, the capture the images of what had been shot on the studio server. Adil called me and said, "Turn everything on your phone." I went to the server and everything was blocked. The studio had taken access codes away from them. It was a hard blow for the two young Belgian-Moroccan directors faced with this new management, this change of strategy. Recall that the film with Leslie Grace in the title role had already cost $90 million and was in post-production phase. But the support from fans and fellow directors lifted their spirits. Quote, first, when I heard the news, I was shocked. I didn't know how to react. I wanted to break things to cry. But seeing all the support on Twitter, even the great directors from Edgar Wright to James Gunn sent us messages of support. They still have the hope that the film will be released one day under pressure from the fans. Uh, He can't go out in his current condition. There is no VFX. We still have scenes to shoot. So if one day they want us to release the movie, they should give us the means to do so, to finish it properly with our vision says Adil Elarbi. So, yes, man, fucking... Now, you know, it's like, it sucks for us fucking fans, but now hearing what the directors, they, like, this is, they put so much time in it. Think about that. Think about that. Like, this is their vision. This is what they've put out. They've worked with Michael Keaton. They've worked with Leslie Grace. They've put a lot of hard work into this. They're in post-production phase. They got a little bit left to shoot. No VFX added. It's all gone. Bullshit. It's an absolute slap in the face to do that to creators. To to have them put this I mean not just these these two guys but everybody involved with this film to to just do this for for tax reasons. It's it's absolute shit. Yeah, I feel bad for these guys. I feel bad for everybody involved. This is horseshit. And I, I really, you know, at first I was just like, I felt bad for us fans, right? But now, like, reading this article and hearing their fucking views on it and, like, how to, I mean, this is, I mean, you know, they got paid, but still. Who knows if yeah. these guys are going to get a, another another crack at something? I mean, I, didn't they work with Feige before? I'm not sure about that. Captain Marvel? Didn't these guys didn't Probably these Ms. didn't Marvel? didn't these guys work with didn't Feige reach out to the to the writers or the directors or something after this happened on social media? Yeah, he said something to them. I feel like these guys worked on a Disney Plus show. Weren't they on Miss Marvel? Yeah, I thought they did an episode of Miss Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I'm pretty sure that Kevin Feige reached out to them over Twitter or something or they or they revealed that Kevin Feige was like on the I think they revealed on social media that they got a call from Kevin Feige they didn't use his name but I think they were like another like you know another guy at another studio reached out to us and you know I I think Kevin kind of alluded to them that they'd probably be working with uh, with Marvel again yeah, he's got to feel bad. I mean, how can you not? I mean, it's just so devastating. I mean, no matter what they do next, 
it's always something that's going to come up in interviews and questions. Like they'll they'll never escape this craziness for the rest of their lives. Here we go, Kevin Feige. This is from Variety. Kevin Feige, James Gunn, and Edgar Wright reached out to Batgirl directors after Warner Brothers axed their film. Uh, my friends, I, oh yeah, here we go. Um, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige sent him and Fala in the aftermath of the film's cancellation. The Batgirl directors helmed two episodes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe series Ms. Marvel. Quote, my friends, I had to reach and let, reach and let you know we are all thinking about you both. Because of the wonderful news about the wedding, congrats, and the disappointing news about Batgirl. Very proud of you guys and all the amazing work you do, and particularly Ms. Marvel, of course. Can't wait to see what is next for you. Hope to see you soon. So, yeah. It's unfortunate, guys. Yeah, this is so sad. The Uh, whole story is super surreal and super fucked up. Well, I wonder if it's going to have an effect also, or it's going to scare some creators away from working with Warner Brothers. Uh, go through and get a movie 90-some percent done, and then just have them go, nah, nah, sorry, we're going a different direction. Didn't scare Matt Reeves, who just signed a first-look deal with Warner Brothers, Joe. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a valid point. His movie was pretty well-received, though. They needed to do something after this news, and they needed to do something after Christopher Nolan left them. Man, Warner Brothers, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, they, will they ever get their act together? All signs point towards no. Yeah, according to, uh, according to a report from Deadline, Matt Reeves has signed a multi-year first-look deal with Warner Brothers. This agreement gives the director first-look privileges... Over the entire Warner Brothers Picture Group production divisions, which includes Warner Brothers Pictures, New Line Cinema, Warner Animation Group, and DC Films. It's a multi-year deal. So they got, they got, they got Matt Reeves to sign with them. So I'm not saying that it's not going to scare some people away, Joe, but they locked up Matt Reeves. Yeah, it's one of the best things they've done in the last couple of months, for sure. Well, yeah, I, I guess we'll just have to kind of wait and see if there's any controversy that's going to surround his sequel to the Batman. Are they going to fuck with him? Are they going to let him do his thing? I mean, they've done nothing, didn't they? Didn't they? Didn't they sign J.J. Abrams? Didn't they just fucking like axe one of his fucking projects over there? Yeah, I, I forgot what that project was with Abrams. Another J.J. Abrams project canceled. Uh, Wasn't it the Batman animated yes. series? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, let's see. It's fucking crazy. Uh, Paul, you brought up the the funeral screenings. Mm-hmm. No, let's not make a joke about me hitting the tree again, guys. Come on. I didn't go there. <laughs> a new article at THR indicates that the canceled Batgirl film will allegedly have screenings on the Warner Brothers lot this week for people who worked on the movie. Dubbed funeral screenings by one insider for the trade, members of the cast, crew, executives, and anyone affiliated with the film will reportedly get to see what was made before the film's footage gets locked away forever. 
The project, which had been deep into post-production before its axing, has been much talked about since new Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zasloff canceled the film and several other DC films and HBO Max-adjacent projects as a tax write-down. The film is reportedly far from a finished project with various visual effects and finished score needed before completion. How bittersweet is that bullshit? Yeah, geez, bring a tissue, right? I mean, that's, what do you do? If you love it, you applaud, and then no one else is ever going to be able to see it. You're never going to be able to see it again. I mean, it's such a big deal. It's something that you'd want to show your kids. And it's not even finished. You made this movie, yeah. God. I I don't know how you could sit there and watch it and just not be fuming mad. You would need the energy song. Paul? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I would feel like I would reject. Like, I almost wouldn't want to. I wouldn't go. I I would refuse to go. It'd be great if they fucking showed a movie and nobody fucking sat down to watch any of it. Like, fuck you. I would boycott that fucking funeral screen. That's the way I would feel about it, too. Yeah, man. Like, just a fucking. Yeah. Oh, God. That's just adding salt to the wound, in my opinion. All right, you get to watch it one time, then we're going to lock it away forever in that warehouse that you saw at the end of fucking Indiana Jones. You're going to be the Animaniacs. Like, you're locked in the tower. Fuck yeah. you. Yeah. News from comicbook.com. DC's Kevin Feige may have been found by Warner Brothers. On Thursday, reports indicated that former Warner Brothers executive turned producer Dan Lin is in talks to take on the top spot at DC, overseeing both film and television projects for the brand. Todd Phillips, who helmed uh, 2019 uh, Joker movie, was reportedly considered for the role by Warner Brothers, but is focusing instead on directing the upcoming Joker 2. According to The Hollywood Reporter, other names that were rumored to have been in contention were Amy Pascal, Matt Tolmach, Sean Bailey, and Greg Berlanti. Lynn is known for producing franchises such as It, Sherlock Holmes, and the Lego movies. He also previously worked at Warner Brothers, ultimately becoming the SVP of production before leaving at 2007 to start his own production company. You know, my favorite part of this news story, honestly, was the fact that I'd never heard of this guy's fucking name before. I honestly feel like you get, for as much as I love what, kind of like what Berlanti did for some of the Arrowverse, the fact that I know him also comes with a little bit of baggage, right? You know, just because we know... I think I think what's promising about this Lynn guy is the unknown, right? Because, like, Kevin Feige was pretty unknown. I know he'd been working in the business a long time, but he finally gets a shot and he does what he does, and he does it great. I think part of, the, like, my excitement for this, yeah, it's like you say the name Dan Lynn... It, really holds no weight but i think part of the excitement is just like the the unknown like what can this guy do like you know yeah i mean because we're only left in a position where we can be surprised if yes. we don't know anything about him yeah yeah surprised either in a good way or a bad way but <laughs> i'm hoping it leans a lot more towards good so yeah but we know the real head is like the fucking h&r guy doing their taxes that can just cut anything at will like i'm hoping i uh, pessimism yeah we can be pessimistic but i'm hoping that like when all is said and done that 
this ten year plan. They're real. I I really hope Paul that they are fucking gonna do something with this ten year plan. Well, yeah, like I I totally agree with that. I want them to have a great vision, but it just I would be terrified to go to work at a place like this right now, knowing. I can have something in the can and then all of a sudden someone else just is like, nope, we're done. Like it just, that's just terrifying. Well, I mean with new leadership and I think that, I think that what's happening now is we're seeing new leadership take over and they're forced to deal with some of the old shit. So we're, we're having, there are casualties, man. There are casualties from this, which is sad. Like Batgirl. That's a sad casualty. But I don't see people fucking with, you know, I don't see people with pitchforks running through the street, you know, after Zaslav because of the cancellation of the Wonder Twins movie. Yeah. I don't see people with pitchforks because we're not getting Scoob 2. I just, I don't think that, I don't, see this being Zaslav greenlighting new projects and axing them. I think that they're going to be very, anything that they do give like a, a green light to that going forward, hopefully is going to be something that gets made. I think we just got a guy in a, in a leadership position now where he's got to make these tough choices of like, you know, fuck this huge JJ Abrams deal. Oh, we can't do that. And fuck this Batgirl. You know, we we can't do that. This Wonder mm-hmm. Twins. This They had that Strange Adventures anthology series that they axed. I mean, these are... Hopefully going forward, I mean, I don't think this is going to be a trend. I just think, like, right now it's a weird kind of, like, transition period, right? Got you. Thank you. Sorry. I, I totally see what you're saying. Yeah, and that makes more sense. That is this just new leadership coming in, and he looked at what was on the slate and was like, all right, fuck this, fuck this, fuck this. And that going forward, stuff will be better vetted, and we won't see cancellations like this. But honestly, with WB, it's like I'm, I'm not surprised by anything anymore with them. I just see, I think we're seeing a lot of moves that are being done on the business side. I don't think that, I don't think that Zaslav is like making any decisions based on the creative side. Absolutely. And so, like, the creative side, he's basically saying, yeah, we need a 10-year plan. Dan Linden is our guy. And then, you know, he'll make business decisions on how much budgets will be and how long shooting will be and, you know, if they start going over budget, like, what they need to do. But, you know... I I, I just guide, don't. He'll guide it too. Like he'll decide what movie should kick this off and like the direction the whole thing should go as well. I would think, right? Yeah, and I think he might even have. It'll be interesting to see if he has final say on some of like the casting going forward too. Like, what if they cast somebody that you know that he doesn't like in a role? Are we going to see this guy get involved? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I could. I mean, the more hands on he is, the better. Honestly, like I, that's what they need is one person like guiding this. You know, you still want to leave room for creativity between the different filmmakers and movies. But I, man, uh, I kind of agree and kind of disagree with you there. I, I mean, 
as far as like I don't want anybody fucking stepping on Kevin Feige's toes on the business side. Like Kevin, let Kevin. Like Kevin's done a fucking bang up job. I don't see what I'm saying is like I don't want Zaslav to fucking step on Dan Lin's toes and not let Dan Lin be able to do what he hired him for. Yeah, I agree with that. Because if I had to fucking hear about, you know, who's uh, is it? Who's uh, who's the guy over at Disney now? Is it Chapek? Yes. If Chapek's fucking stepping on fucking Feige's toes and shit, and not letting him do shit, you know, because we know Iger fucking let Kevin Feige pretty much do what he did, and that's we got you know great shit. I just don't want Zaslav hiring this Dan Dan Lin guy and then micromanaging him at every fucking turn. Let the guy that you hired to do the job do the job. Yeah, you're just going to run into the same problems again, I guess, if that's what happens. Yeah, totally. They're not learning from their mistakes of the past if that's what they do. Yeah, you just fucking, you worry about the budgets, you worry about the business side and shit, and let the creatives do the creatives. That's why Nolan left. Anyway, that's all I got, guys. No Star Wars? Mm -mm. Was there Star Wars news this week? No. (laughs) (laughs) You just want to hear the bumper? Oh, yeah, I love the Star Wars bumper. (laughs) The OG, though. None of that fucking new Coke bullshit. Uh oh. Whatever, man. Most people fucking love that new bumper, Jake. You just don't. You don't. You don't. You're not part of the cool kids club, dude. That's fine. Let me play. I'll play the old bumper for you. Hold on. I can never hear this song again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor Paul. It just seemed like a dead Brian in the drive. Every time you see the Death Star explode, I want you to think of me exploding all over that dashboard. Wow. (laughs) That ring ring of blood comes out of you. (laughs) All right. That's all I got. I want to thank our guests this week. I want to thank Mr. Joe Stark. Joe Stark, thank you for joining us on this episode. And I want you to let people know where they can find you and what you're doing over there. Yeah, you can find me on Starkcast, a podcast I do where I just have kind of long-form conversations with people. This week's episode, I had a few guests on, including Mr. Paul Hart, and we discussed all 26 of the Pixar movies, ranked our top five, uh, discussed our bottom ones, and uh, it was a fun episode. It was great. I had a blast. And Paul, where can people find you? On Apples to Oranges, we are talking about trying. We're at the end of this season, and we got a lot of new stuff coming up. And, uh, yeah, it's a fun time. Man, Paul, I you know what I needed a little bit more from you there, buddy? What, more dashboard explosion? <laughs> I need more energy. Yeah, I fucking hate Yeah, man. I just see your brain coming out of your head. Dude, I'm done. <laughs> I'm spent. 
<laughs> I'm more tired at the end of this episode than I was the Spider-Man trailer. I, you know, in that scenario, I am. That's not, not true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we yeah, we're done. That is all we. What do we got next week? I always like to kind of tease people because people are like, well, I'd like to know what you're talking about. Hopefully from, not you dying in a made-up scenario in someone's front yard. I don't dead. like the reaction. It'll, it'll be a news scenario. Brian doesn't repeat <laughs> jokes often. I don't like to do the repeat jokes, typically. <laughs> I'm so glad I was this one and only. Thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> I really don't have a lot written down for next week. It's September. i got to look up what's coming out in September. I know that The Patient is going to be dropping on FX Hulu. That's a new uh, well, Steve Carell uh, Steve show. show. Yeah, and uh, who else is in that one? Is it Donald Gleason? Paul Dano. It's Paul Dano? No, I thought no, it was... no, 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 no. It's, it's uh, Donald Gleason. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's Donald Gleason. And then a show called Pantheon hits AMC Plus. That it... Was that interesting? What is Pantheon? I wrote it down. What is Pantheon? <laughs> <laughs> is it interesting? What I don't it? know. Maybe, it's, I mean, maybe I'll tease people. Pantheon is AMC's first animated adult television show, jumping on board with the adult animated show trend. Stars such names as Daniel Day Kim, Taylor Schilling, and a premise that seems interesting at its core. What's the premise then, you fuckheads? What what the hell is that? (laughs) Yeah, here we go. People also ask, what is Pantheon and AMC about? AMC Today announced that it has greenlit Pantheon, an ambitious one-hour one-hour animated drama based on a series of short stories by Ken Liu about uploaded intelligence or human consciousness uploaded into the cloud. Okay, we'll check it out. We'll, we'll talk about that one next week. I think I'm going to go see Jaws in IMAX on Friday. Oh, is that dropping oh, on nice. IMAX? Yeah. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it going to be out for like a week or just that one day? I think it's a. I think it's a whole week. That's good. I'll probably check it out then. Yeah, yeah they've got 3D showings too. I read. Hey, don't forget to. Oh, I'll see it in fucking 3D. Don't forget to fucking enter the contest. These are great contests. Fucking uh, 1883 and uh, Top Gun Maverick. Enter the contest, you lazy fucks. That's all you. you gotta, so fucking easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get that free copy of Top Gun. That shit's not going on sale anytime soon. They know they can get oh. the full 20 bucks for fucking months upon months. <laughs> no kidding. Who calls their listeners lazy fucks and then trying to I'm trying to give you free shit. <laughs> it's the same podcast that tells their guests they're going to die in their front yard. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. It's true. <laughs> Paul went through the ringer this episode. You know, we start by praising him. Oh, you're wonderful. You're an inspiration. And then next thing you know, he's a piece of shit for letting me dine his yard. <laughs> no, I think we, I think we, first we knocked him down and then we lifted him back up. And then we really knocked him down. And then you're yeah. like a fucking suspect in Brian's murder. It's great. Great. I want Paul to be like fucking Captain America in this scenario. And he's like, I can do this all day. And he just keeps getting up, you know? I am. I feel like I have been, man. Yeah, you have been. Let's fucking go. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was like a joke. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
That is all we have for this episode, Jake. We, this is episode 436, Jake. We're 436 episodes deep. I think, like, if you look it up uh, on, uh, if you look it up, we're like over 620 episodes total with bonuses. Holy shit. It's yeah. a lot of episodes. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Two people can talk this much. It's fucking stupid. It's all our energy. It's fucking stupid. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Who the fuck do we think we are that we got to talk to each other 620 plus times? I don't know. We definitely think way too highly of ourselves. We do. It's ridiculous. I do deserve to die in your front yard, Paul. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't see you talking now, do you? Don't see you talking now, Brian. Or is this me stabbing you? Like, uh, like, like, like my first reaction is like, oh, Brian. No, this is my reaction is to stab him to death. This is the version where you're absolved of all your sin. It's just me as a. (laughs) I'm just a shit. I just fell asleep and I fucking ran into a tree in your yard and I'm dead. And you. you can fucking sleep easy at night just knowing that I'm a fucking sleepy piece not. of shit. That... I would not at all. <laughs> not at all. Paul's like, I'm not going to be able to sleep good until this goddamn car is out of my fucking yard. Jesus no, Christ. I mean, yeah. That's kind of eh, but I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. I, I procrastinated this long getting the tree out of there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at least this will give me the motivation to get the tree out of the yard. Yeah, you know what? Now you know, I, I asked for a sign. This is it. That's crazy. Is that goddamn tree still not dead? But Brian is. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. He'll just leave the tree and like carve your name into it. Yeah. <laughs> the Brian tree. The Brian tree. Is that like a Joshua tree thing there, Jake? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. The, the complete opposite of the giving tree. Yeah. <laughs> the, the taking tree took my life. All right, God that was damaged. That was, <laughs> that was bad, guys. Until next week, we're putting, putting a lid on. on it. You did it, Jake. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week, guys. Later. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations! I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a T-shirt saying, "I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap." Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Gonna toss it, gonna taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carryover, counterculture, pushovers. Pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say's already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Podcasts that are original and good have already been done before.